Hello and welcome to the Min Max Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hanton, joined by Serial Vasquez. Hi. Leo Vader today. Howdy. And special guest, Jake Decker from GameSpot. Hello. Welcome. Uh, you may know him from GameSpot After Dark, their podcast, or his wonderful videos that he's producing over there for how long at GameSpot, Jake? Five years now. Although the first couple years, the videos I produced probably weren't that good. <laughs> Do you remember the first video you produced over there? Oh yeah, I have it saved. It's it's a uh, Witcher tips on playing on the hardest difficulty, and I sound like. And then for the Witcher three, you want to do, and it, it's terrible. Don't look it up, please. <laughs> what is that? There is something so strange when I go back to like old Game Informer videos or podcasts that I was on. I assume everybody has a sensation. You know, everybody that has been on old Game Informer and Gamespot videos. Um, but it always just sounds so flat. Do you think that's nerves, or do you think that we're slowly conditioned to be more roller coastery in our voice? Blah 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 blah. And it's a natural growth. And in five years, I'm just going to be a whirling dervish of a clown on podcasts. <laughs> Chalk it up to both, I'd say. I feel like everyone's trying to compete with energy levels now, and then partly because yeah, when I started, I was terrified and didn't have a lot of self confidence and had never done VO before, so I was just sitting in this booth and like uh. So I talk into this thing. So that was that was pretty nerve wracking. Oh, but now terrifying. I can I can yell like the rest of them. Yeah, like the greatest out there. Leo, I remember it was an early-ish video from you. I forget what it was exactly, but you made me laugh so much. Or whatever the video was, you ended it just by saying, and if you don't like me, let me have it in the comments. Just tear into me. And just like leaned into it. Do you remember what that was? No, I've maybe the PUBG Fortnite video. Maybe, yeah. I just love the idea of, you know, you probably being still a little bit uncomfortable being in a big Game Informer video, but still just going directly at just tear me a new one in the comments. Have at me, you monsters. Throw me into the deep end. <laughs> uh, hey, we are here to talk about next gen. A lot of excitement, a lot of buzz, a lot of bubblings out there trying to figure out what's going on. And we thought we could use this podcast to just kind of zoom in a little bit and unpack the week what is guaranteed to be the craziest week of all of our lives, somewhere in the middle of November. That window, let's just walk through exactly what that's going to look like for us, what we're excited about, new things we've learned about big games releasing in that week, all that fun stuff. Um, and then we're going to talk a little about VR. Uh, Leo is excited to talk about his experience and kind of renewed love affair with VR. And then we have a bunch of great community questions that people submitted on Patreon, of course. Um, okay, a couple things. By a couple things, I mean a whole feast to set this table with. Um, exciting games coming out this week. The Ghost of Tsushima multiplayer update, very exciting. We haven't played it yet at the time of this recording. Uh, Mario Kart Live Home Tour, the weird RC car thing, we do not currently have. There's a chance I'll be getting one, and maybe we can talk about it next week. I'm very excited to check out that insane thing, especially because it's like there's a chance I might be getting it, and then I'm going to be babysitting my nephews this weekend. I was like, oh, perfect. This is going to be a great test case for Nintendo's freaky stuff. Um, and then, of course, uh, the game of the year, of course, is Jackbox Party Pack 7, which is releasing this week, and I'm very curious to see how that game does, and we will be talking about it and streaming it uh, in the future. But even more table setting, uh, letting you know that we have the deepest dive coming up on Wednesday of next week. And this is our first cross-media event for the deepest dive. We've covered a million old games. You know, we did Chrono Trigger. We just wrapped up Super Mario 64. But this time we're tackling, Jake, please sit down for this. Are you sitting down? I'm sitting down. Okay. We're taking the deepest dive into The Thing. 
So we're covering not only the great 1982 movie, but the original short story, uh, the original 1951 film. Uh, for people that are just listening, Jake tipped over like an anime character and blood came out of his nose. It was unbelievable. Uh, and then we're also covering the video game, tabletop game, the prequel film from 2011. We'll talk about Among Us, uh, the things influence on the video game industry as a whole. Uh, in the first episode airing next week, we're going to be joined by your former colleague, uh, colleague Jake, uh, Mike Maharty. That's exciting. Yeah, it should be a fun time. So if you want to join us, uh, you can support us at any tier on Patreon and then submit a comment about the original story from 1938, which you can get an Audible, you can get it as an ebook. It's very cheap. Uh, or that original film from 1951, and we'll read it on the show. Also, more table setting. Uh, this is an exciting week for MinMax. We are launching our first ever documentary. Um, if you've been listening to our show, Better Quest, you've heard me talk about trying to edit this thing together. It's an old documentary that I was working on years ago that I thought this would be a perfect time to revive this. And it's about the origins of the Oregon Trail, that old video game. Going back to what year do you think that game was first programmed, Jake? Mm, I have no clue. If you had, if you had <laughs> to just once. swing for it, what do you think? Uh, 19... 84. You fool! No, uh, no, it turns out it goes back to 1971. <laughs> you kind of walked oh, right wow. in. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, it is made in Minnesota here. So, we have a documentary about that game's origins, and we're bundling it with a charity drive. So, please look forward to that on our YouTube channel. Uh, the charity drive is for the New Vision Foundation, which is about teaching underprivileged kids in Minnesota digital uh, competency skills and also just how to code and program. So, it's kind of a celebration of teaching and coding. So, please. Check that out and help share it. We'll have a link to the charity drive in the description here, but for much more on that, you can stay tuned to Minex in the future. Okay. So it seems like this week, uh, next-gen stuff started to heat up a little bit by the one and only, the king of gaming, the Burger King. Uh, <laughs> so there was a... The Sneak King. The Sneak King himself, that's right. Uh, he, he just, in a very dastardly way, tweeted out a video of him opening up a Burger, Burger King bag, and it seems like it's revealing the PlayStation 5 startup sounds, which turns out that Sony actually revealed back in June in one of their streams. They just put it right in the middle of it. But, hey, do you guys want to hear the boot-up sound for the PlayStation 5 together right now? Let's do it. All right, let's sit back and really kick off this new generation. Here we go. All right, scale of one to five, where do you put it, Serial? That's I. That's like a three, I think. Okay. Like I like it, but it's not. I think my favorite is still maybe the the either the PS one or PS three. So I like the like the idea of either the symphony warming up or just like the we're like this is next level tech, you know, for on the PS one. Just this is going to destroy your ears before you've even started playing anything. Get ready for it. Yeah, the symphony on PS three was really nice. I think those like Q games that put that together with the cool flowing thing, and now it's just yeah. PS4 is nice, but I feel like I don't see it too much. You know, I always just got it on standby and whatnot. Um, but Jake, I'm curious how GameSpot is handling next-gen coverage. What, what's it like over there for you guys? It's it's a bit crazy, honestly. I mean, I mean, the biggest unknown right now is Sony, just because we know so much more about the Xbox Series X. Uh, and, and I'm sure as I've, as many people have seen, like there's a bunch of coverage out there. A lot of outlets have hands on with it. Yeah. With the PlayStation, you don't really know what's going on with that. Yeah. I, we have a lot planned. We just, 
we don't we don't really know what to do and there is the you know the waves of embargoes for the xbox series x so even now if you're watching or listening to this on thursday there's even more details out there but uh has somebody in your office gotten their hands on the series x yeah uh one person in particular has michael hyam has done a good amount of coverage with it uh other than that, like I know CNET has gotten their hands on one Jeff Bacalar. Uh That's as far as I know. It's a bit strange because, you know, normally we'd have these consoles set up in a centralized location in the office so people can get what they need, capture, film it, whatever. But because of this situation, I don't really know what the whole strategy is behind it. And it's probably good. I probably shouldn't say our strategy, but <laughs> please don't reveal it. Well, I'm curious just like how you guys are framing it. Like you, what you have the show called generation next just mm-hmm. about, uh, what is the idea behind that show? I'm sorry. I haven't watched it yet. So generation next is basically Lucy Tamore and Jordan Ramey, uh, three very funny people just discussing next gen news. Uh, they, talk about all sorts of things like memes, uh, news, as I said before, updates, comparisons, like what TVs you should get and whatnot. They're about 20 minutes. I think they're every Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah, they're, they're very good. That's kind of like our main next gen, you know, platform on video, I'd say. Right. Hey, Leo, I don't know if you have any thoughts just on producing video about next generation. Cause it's like, I like talking about it on the podcast. There's a part of me that likes the idea of the friendly competition between the consoles. It's fascinating. It's, you know, going to shape the next six years of our lives realistically here. But there's also that angle of like, well, you don't want to be like, eh, console wars, kaboom, here we go, Xbox, get it Sony, vice versa. Like, what's that right level, Leo? I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know. Yeah, I like the idea of one show that just covers both of them, whatever's going on. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, what is the Xbox Series X startup sound, by the way? Can we compare them based on that? See who won the console wars that way? <laughs> we actually question. just put up a video on GameSpot that has all the Xbox sound, startup sounds, including the Series X. Really? Is it the same mm-hmm. as? Because the interface is the same, right? That's going to be universal across the Xbox One? It is. It's new, but it sounds very similar to the other ones. I, I watched it this morning and I was like, huh, all right. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, here is the sound. This that wow. feels like a first draft, don't you think? <laughs> hang first on. That one playing with the synthesizer. Yeah, hang on. Joe Biden is uh, in this ad. We'll be on real quick. I don't <laughs> think this is the Xbox Series startup, but we can listen to every start startup for the Xbox. Just to this is the official GameSpot video, just to make sure this is actually the real deal. Okay, here we go from the beginning. Classic. Classic. The weird flubber. Who can forget? Starting up a science experiment. Strange machine. Our favorite little white sphere for 360. Up there with the Traveler. The reimagined one for 360. The newish one. Xbox One. Quick. Easy. Dirty, they say. Series X. I'm sorry, One X. Uh, Too much. Okay, so that's the One X. And then there's some sort of failure screen. Okay. It's louder and louder. 
that's so all right. So they have it all the experts. Oh, there we go. And then of course, Games Festival lovely presenters. <laughs> the video components, I think, get really different because you, that first one just definitely feels like very monster energy, like this is completely black and then it cracks open. Uh, I think they're worth watching, but like, um, then you go to the 360, which feels like almost in a different class of classy, where it's just like, here's like the swoosh, which I don't think the, the new one has, right? It doesn't have that kind of final, like, sound that I think all of them have had up until the Series X. You right? want the swoosh. Yeah, I want that swoosh. I get it, man. I totally get it. Uh, Jake, do you want to walk through what this week is going to look like for you? Let's say November 10th, Xbox Series X, November 12th, PlayStation 5. What do you expect your week to look like? Good Lord. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think the big thing that I want to play on next gen is Demon Souls. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited for Cyberpunk. That doesn't come out to the 19th. Uh, I'm not sure what it'll be like on the 12th for me in that regards, but Demon Souls is the game that I really want to play. I've played through all of the Souls games, including Sekiro, except for Demon Souls. So I'm very excited to go back and play that game in particular, especially since that is kind of the only like next gen game coming out, it seems, other than like maybe Godfall, which is only PS5 and PC. Isn't that strange? It's so weird to look at this list of games that's coming out in that window and just be overwhelmed and realize like, well, if you want next gen exclusive, you got that and you got uh, Destruction All-Stars, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You have Astro's Playroom, which of course will be an experience that everyone will want to play and won't be like a demo-y thing. I'm really looking forward to Astro's Playroom. You know, uh, Astrobot is one of my favorite games of the year it came out. Was that two years ago? Uh, And it's the same creative director, same team. They say it's going to be like five hours long. Uh, And I think it's really interesting to take like that incredibly talented team that was solely VR focused and was really creative and just inventive when it came to VR development and then take them be like, all right, let's move them off of VR. Now they can make uh, just a standalone platformer. But uh, they say that like, you know, they had a lot of input because it's also very connected to the hardware team. And so the Astros Playroom team had a lot of input on designing the DualSense and stuff like that. Also, real quick, before we get back to Demon's Souls, is Nicholas Doucette, the creative director for Astros Playroom, he says, I can't say in detail, but if you clear everything in the game, there is a surprise that PlayStation fans will be pleased with. So, whoa, please platinum look trophy. forward to being pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Two platinum trophies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Surreal, are you just, you're locking down on Demon Souls too? You're going to play through that sucker? Yeah, it'll probably be, I think I'll probably split my time across uh, Demon Souls and uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon because I've heard a lot of good things about it. I Obviously, it's already been out in Japan, so... Uh, some portion of that uh, series' audience have already played it, but I just yeah. seeing things like previews come out of like the idea that uh, this is an RPG with adults in it. I think someone mentioned is kind of this weird thing because you think about JRPGs and it's always like either this very stratified kind of fantasy thing, which you know is hard to relate to someone who has not been on an adventure. Uh, <laughs> but either that or, or it's like high school kids, right? Which is fine, but I feel like. I like the idea of this is an RPG full of people in like their mid twenties, early thirties or whatever, late thirties and just trying to get by. And then contextualizing that as an RPG, I think is really cool. Yeah. And it's going to be big. Um, what is it like 50 hours, somewhere around there. Um, and I remember listening to the eight, four play podcast where John Ricciardi played through it and he really loved it. He's a big fan of the series. And he said like, ah, there's like some balancing issues that were like, some of the boss fights were pretty uneven. And so I'm curious since the Japanese released, if they, uh, the release, if they would go back and tweak any of that stuff or how locked that stuff is in. But that is happening, of course, on November 10th. So it's coming out Xbox Series X, 
uh, an S, PlayStation 4, and then on PC on that November 10th. And then the PlayStation 5 version isn't happening until March 2nd, just to make sure it's nice and confusing for everybody involved. Yeah, I wonder how much how locked down it is because I remember there was like an interface thing where like yeah. each of the possible menu options had a letter tied to it, and it was like it, it was pretty close to being Sega for like the the three the acronym for the actions, and it wasn't. And people like mentioned like oh it should totally be that, and then they changed it. So, but that's obviously a very minor thing compared to you know balancing bosses. Right, right. I'm still really looking forward to that, and I forget who won it in our great gamble uh, to figure out who gets. I to believe play. it was me. I believe I won it, and then okay. I'm going to play it, and you're not allowed. Uh, well, I think is how what? that contest went. That seems fine. Uh, there's another indie game or a smaller game uh, coming out November 10th is Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. Have you guys seen this? It's it's from Xseed, but it seems cool. It seems a little bit like in that Spearfare vein where you're running around farming, also going on adventures, stuff like that. So it's one of those like underdogs that's happening on that launch day that seems like a nice bite-sized thing to, to pick up and check out. Uh, Leo, you want to walk me What's through up? that week for you? Are you getting next-gen consoles? What does your week look like? I am grateful I don't feel the need to get next-gen consoles. I'm seeing a lot of exclusive to one console and PC, and that's what I love to see, baby. <laughs> I have more cross-play, less pressure to get a $500 box so you can play one thing. Yeah. Okay, how does this work? Leo, you stream our great Goaty Hunt streams every week. <laughs> am I just going to have to give you my or our Series X? Probably, and then I just would grab it back every time I'd want to play something personally. Sure. Okay, this is going to get complicated, but you got a PS4, and so if there's some of those things that are cross-gen, it's maybe not the end of the world to stream the PS4 version as long as we make it clear this is what we're doing. Otherwise, I will have the PS5. My, my, my week is so weird, but it's all thanks to Walmart. Like Walmart <laughs> says that I'm going to get the PlayStation 5 on November 12th, but that the Xbox, which is releasing on the 10th, I won't get until the 16th. I'm curious hmm. if anybody else with the pre-orders has any funky dates. Have you all checked your pre-order timing for all that stuff? Yeah, my PS5 is not coming until the 15th, I think, which is kind of a bummer, but yeah, I don't know. Kind of like what Leo was saying, most of these games are cross-generational, cross-platform, so I can play them on my PC. The only thing I can't do is Demon Souls, which is you know what I'm most excited for, of course. Right, right. Do you think you're going to play Miles Morales? Uh, yeah, probably. I ordered it just because I was like, well, I got the console. I got to get some games for it, too. So yeah. uh, I ordered it. I'm not, I'm not a super big Spider-Man fan, so I'm not super stoked for it. But it looks great. I'm sure it'll be I'm sure it'll be a fun game um, at the end of the day. I couldn't get my hands on a Series X, though. I tried. Just probably for the best. Yeah, just to save you some money? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, it's like the mid-max console, you know, so I'm curious to see how much we're playing it versus PC. It's just the size of these suckers i'm looking under my tv right now trying to figure out how i'm going to squeeze these things in but uh Suriel, are you looking forward to miles morales i am i i i think seeing uh like that gameplay i think was the first reminder that like you know i, I really like the spider-man game i don't think i like it as much as a lot of other people um but i remember playing through it and having a, a lot of fun with it and I, I think i might end up liking miles better than than peter parker in this version specifically i remember liking his sections um and I think like like the way they've changed his powers, I think works really well in a game. Um, and then I just totally forgot that I that Destiny also comes out uh, that week, so I'll also be spending a lot of time. So who knows how my time will be spent at that point? 
Yeah, I mean, realistically, if you had to choose, Miles Morales, we're all excited for it, but at the same time, like, if your friends are all like, let's play Beyond Light right now, because that's, what, November 10th? I think that's yeah. going to be consuming your I mean, days. I, I, yeah, it's probably just going to be me playing the campaign for a long time and then seeing what, like, the new kind of post-endgame thing is before I kind of try to play with friends. But I think, depending on when they release the raid, which is the thing that I always like to gear, like, that's like my first week of any time they release a new expansion is trying to do the raid in the first week that it's out because they give you like an emblem. It's like a kind of a big deal. And then you can, you know, uh, if you if you do it, they give you a coupon for their store to buy a very expensive jacket. But I've never gotten the jacket, even though I've done it a couple of times. But, um, you know, doing that again, and maybe the jacket's cool this time, I'll, I'll, I'll get one. <laughs> if you need that jacket, I guess so. Uh, yeah, our friends over at Game Informer uh, have uh, the new issue all about Miles Morales, which is a great get for them. That's, that's really cool. Uh, so they've released a couple of videos showing off a little more gameplay uh, from Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, and there are some details in the cover story, too. Uh, you know, I guess we won't spoil the first boss fight, but it, like it sets up an opening boss fight, which is a returning character from the last game. And you're like teaming up with Peter Parker. Then it seems like it separates and it becomes Miles' story with Peter checking in every once in a while. And there's fun things too, like apparently when you're swinging as Miles Morales, like he's a little bit more rickety and wobbly. They say like he controls like a helicopter or he like moves like a helicopter uh, just because he's Hmm. less used to swinging around. Did I also miss that they mentioned that there might be a third Spider-Man at some point? Reiner tweeted that. Yeah, I'm curious what exactly he's getting at with that. A third character. A A third playable character? Okay, so maybe it's like... I don't know if he's a playable... Black cat. It seemed like it was implied, yeah. 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 I think he said third Spider-Man. I think it was going to be a baby for more stealth sequences. <laughs> oh, good. That baby do Spider-Man. anything at all. Just crawls around behind <laughs> foot-high cover. It trolls like a helicopter also. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny to think of Miles Morales in the Spider-Man game because I think there's a huge amount of passion for Miles Morales, which is understandable. I'm trying to figure out how much of that percentage of excitement is before for the character as Insomniac had him versus people love Spider-Verse and other implementations of the character and they're kind of implanting their enthusiasm onto this game because like I like Miles Morales in the Insomniac game but it wasn't my favorite part of the game it's like he was solid his playable sections were pretty slow but obviously it's going to be completely different this time around am I nuts do you think there's anything there about people just injecting their love of Spider-Verse more than specifically this Miles People I, I, loved it, loved him a fair amount in the Insomniac game. I yeah, think. I think that's one of the many things that people will like. Yeah, his role was, in those games that I wouldn't have expected. Yeah, yeah, his, his role was pretty small, but I think he had like an interesting arc looking up to Peter, and I think this is kind of them, you know, paying off that setup. Um, but I think it's this weird inverse also of the Avengers thing, where I think when people saw the Avengers, they're like, ah, they don't look as good as like the Robert Downey stuff. Um, but because I think he is kind of split off from, he's not in the MCU yet, and everyone really likes Spider-Verse. This is really nice kind of small surprise that kind of blew up in this big way. Right. I think, people, I think that like catapulted versus diminished the impact of this character of like, we love Miles Morales now. He's reached out to a new, like uh, a bunch of new people through Spider-Verse, and now you get to play as him in a game. And so everyone's, but there's no like canon version of him uh, for everyone to to compare so everyone's kind of like yeah i'm on board for whatever they do with miles morales because i just like the character so much yeah it's funny too thinking about like of all the games and storylines which we talked about i think on last week's podcast that are embracing the multiple dimensions uh angle like the one character 
that's iconic with shattering through dimensions like Miles Morales. Like that's not a part of the storyline. But maybe Sony was like, ah, we don't need that. We got we got this ratchet and clank in the wings that'll really pick up any sort of dimensional travel that we can handle on this system. It's a weird deal, but I'm looking forward to that. Uh, apparently, yeah, it, while you're fighting as Miles Morales, you can hold L1 to like uh, charge your Venom Strike, and then you have different moves and stuff like that. Uh, Leo, you'll be happy to know that uh, they have some new crimes in the city to take care of, and you have like an app on your phone to, to find it. There's no police scanner. Also, no more Puzzle Lab, uh, but you can check out uh, Game Reformer for a lot more details on Miles Morales, but that seems like that'll be taking up a fair chunk of time. I wonder if it's a custom-made app or an app just anybody can download in that universe. Yeah, how do you do that? You just license a buddy to make a specific Spider-Man app just for you? Maybe the after the criticisms of the dealings with the police in the first one, they're doing police as like a gig economy type thing. Mm, yeah, the new generation. They'll take care of that, that, that can only end well. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, I mean, maybe Peter could program it, right? He's He's like a tech whiz, right? Just say that he is and he can... Do yeah. it in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, let's see, other stuff on the PS5 launch date. We have Sackboy, Big Adventure. It's coming out on PS4 and PS5. Uh, I'm excited for that. You know, it's similar digital, the developers of Little Big Planet 3. And it, like, you know, I'm enjoying Crash with the idea of having just like a co op platformer. I think it would be cool to have there. Uh, it does make me wonder when they're going to announce Dreams for PS5. Because I remember even on that Dreams cover story back at Game Informer, Media Molecule. <laughs> the creative director is very very loose which was lovely but he's you know they weren't announcing the ps5 at that point it wasn't being talked about and so he's framed it like well if sony ever makes a next generation of playstation we will just make a new version of dreams for that like he just announced there in a some interview like yeah we're going to make a dreams for ps5 and it'll be the same version so i'm curious what they're saving that for maybe like the big psvr push or what I wonder when they're going to announce dreams for ps4 i feel like they never talk about that game <laughs> get out there and talk about it yeah there was like a second wind with vr stuff which somebody wrote in about asking us to talk about i haven't checked it out yet i don't have a psvr i feel bad uh i do you have any sense about the reception of that vr stuff in dreams leo um no sense beyond it's cool and it's a cool way to like model things but it sucks that it's behind psvr which even if you're invested in vr you might not just have a psvr and you're not going to get a second headset right for one specific console yeah uh other stuff going back to the launch of the xbox series x uh, assassin's creed valhalla of course uh is coming out this is one that i sit back and think about every once in a while and i'm really looking forward to i like scandinavian mythology enough i'm looking forward to this so you're gonna be exploring four different regions in england uh something that they just revealed today is apparently you can swap your gender at any point in the story which i didn't know so you can just jump back and forth just to see the two which i'm very curious uh how that works yeah. but it'll be cool i saw in a gameplay trailer that there's you know male female and then a middle option which is let the animus choose and it's the text i paused to read the text it says when you highlight over it yeah and it said based on the strength of which gender at the time so i don't know if it's going to be like switching you between what? them automatically yeah i saw that too i think what it is is that it'll swap your character depending on the mission so maybe like I don't know, some Ubisoft devs went through and figured out which character fit best in each scenario. So basically, if you pick that, it'll alternate between the two when it makes sense. At least that's kind of my best guess at this. 
Or which performance was the best? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> line it's by fine. line. This line is way better. Or just each yeah. word individually, I think they could swap it back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. Serious like the, about yeah. This. Is the idea that both playable characters exist in the world? Because I thought it was a thing where it's like... I don't think so. Yeah, the, 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 name, the character's name is Ivor, I think. Yeah. And either way, you know, I guess that's a, uh, like a... Um, that's a name that applies to both genders, but like that, that'd be weird if, if at some point, like what is, what is like the, the player supposed to take away of like, well, what is, what character am I actually playing? It's, it's maybe a little weird, but I mean, it's, I it's fine. animus. It's weird stuff. Also, yeah. uh, game format had a story, uh, talking about how apparently the, some of the modern day stuff is taking place within the animus. So you'll just switch to Layla, like the modern day character, but you'll still be in England uh, like around the settlement and it'll just change and you can solve puzzles and stuff in the past. And they just have like VO for the modern day, which is interesting. I'm curious to see how it's all implemented. It's bizarre, but yes, the idea of building up this settlement uh, should be exciting. You know, in interviews, it's funny. Actually, I was in that same game former interview with narrative director Darby. Uh, he was talking about like, Oh, we really want to shed the stereotypes of the Vikings as raiders. Instead focus on, on them as like explorers and settlers which is great, but like you're still going to be killing thousands of people as a Viking. So you're like, we're finally getting away from that ugly stereotype. We're just focused With on the most building. violent execution animations we've had to date. <laughs> Please, yeah. pre-order now. Please. Uh, but one, of yes. our, one of our editors had a chance to check it out and we actually have his impressions up right now. Yeah. But one thing that interests me about it was that he kind of took away that it was similar to Mass Effect and that your village or whatever that you continuously go back to is kind of like the Normandy where you yeah. can go back, talk to characters, uh, meet different people, kind of do some mini games, which I, I thought sounds pretty cool as someone who, you know, I love mass effect. Uh, I, I'm curious to see what they do with it because I think a strong sense of foundation will help Assassin's Creed, especially coming off Odyssey, which I enjoyed, but man, that game was all over the place. Right. Yeah. And they even describe an interesting way where uh, the narrative director Darby here, he says, there's not a hard plot driving you through. There's this series of episodes that kind of all have little stories that go back to the settlement then, which is intriguing. Like there's still, he says like, oh, there's, there's story here, but think of it like, what do you say? Like a flower shape where you're going on these little episodic things to then build up your settlement even more. And then in the latest trailer, they showed like the settlement could even be attacked and stuff. So that seems so cool. And they also revealed that uh, you will be able to drink magic Norse potion, magic hallucination drink, and then you'll be interacting with the gods and actually go to Asgard and stuff. So like, if they need a way to do it, sure, that seems cool. I'm looking forward to seeing how they tackle all that stuff and just have your Viking uh, tripping to see gods. It'll be great. <laughs> I mean, do you, they, they called it Valhalla, right? And I think at some point the, na- the temporary name was Ragnarok. Yeah. I think they were shuffling between. Do you think they'll have an expansion? Like, because uh, the Odyssey one was like Fate of Atlantis, I think it was. Do you think they'll just have the expansion be called Ragnarok? I wonder, because I'm sure there's the weird stuff with God of War where they didn't exactly reveal the new God of War is called Ragnarok, but they certainly strongly implied it. And so mm-hmm. maybe both are just <laughs> waiting to see, or maybe the, they likes. actually know like who actually has <laughs> the copyright at this point. They're worried about the other one. I, I don't know what is happening there, but I think that seems likely. Yeah, that they would tie more into that with the expansion. I was thinking too, like, what are the odds that Immortals Phoenix Rising 2 will take place in with Norse mythology. mythology. Do you think they're just going to have all this research built up from the ACs and then just pass that on for the sequel to Immortals Phoenix Rising? 
one game behind every yeah every exactly okay it's it. your year you take ragnarok this year everybody just passed <laughs> down from franchise to franchise i also uh, wonder to to what extent the um immortal phoenix rising sequel is kind of a given because i know you yeah. likes to do that kind of iteration but i think immortals is maybe a little bit more uh, uh unproven than a lot of ub franchises that is true i'm really looking forward to it but uh, that name hopefully it can break through and that window like early december is kind of a tough window but we'll see hopefully hopefully people check it out because the previews have all been super positive about that thing so oh also uh, last detail about assassin's creed valhalla is apparently you get excalibur in it it doesn't okay <laughs> just find excalibur in england which you know what why not we're in england let's go for it just have as much fun as possible happen. here it could happen the final is- thing is actually that uh, the memory, the like interrogate, the assassination someone, and then you go into this mind portal where you talk to them about their life and their values. That's back in this one. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, that's good. Yeah, cool. There's lengthy conversations. Right. Memory tunnels, they call them or something. Do you think you're going to play this, Leo? Eventually. It won't be a day one thing, but I'm sure I'll pick it up. It's interesting seeing it transition to full RPG. They mentioned in a gameplay stream today that they have like a charisma stat. Like, it's not full on attributes for everything, but it's like you can improve your charisma and get new dialogue options. (laughs) Things like that. I'm interested to see where it goes. And the combat, there are things I didn't like about the direction of Odyssey, but the combat and like roaming from outpost to outpost and the viability of stealth, that all felt great. So I'm curious to see more gameplay from Valhalla when it gets into people's hands. Yeah. But obviously, you're going to be going hot and heavy with uh, Watch Dogs Legion on that same day. Yeah, that'll be my year. Okay. All right, great. That's uh, consuming Leo's time. That's fine. Any new There's thoughts? There's one more thing oh, about yeah. Valhalla I do want to bring up because <laughs> our editor who went to go play it, he was doing side quests and there was one lady who asked for Viper eggs. So they got Viper eggs, brought it back, and she just farted and like stunk up an entire city. Like there was like fart gas coming out of what? all the sewers and stuff into the city. I'm not making this up. When I heard When I heard the VO, I was like... This sounds a bit ridiculous, but I found the gameplay. We got gameplay of just like some old lady living in a sewer, just letting out the biggest fart. This is in an Assassin's Creed game. Hi, I need to cancel my pre-order for Watch Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the collector's edition now. Do you, think, do you think that's like a mythological figure? Like, ah, it's Freya the farter or something. Like, do you think you're tripping when you see that? Because that seems insane. I... Yeah, like I, it just was so out of left field. Like I'm looking at all this gameplay of like, you know, Vikings cutting people's heads off as we talked about before and yeah. like raiding towns and then just this old lady ripping a huge fart. <laughs> I want the voice in the, that Layla's talking to to be like, I don't think you're remembering that right. <laughs> Let's back it up a little bit. <laughs> Why do you keep just, inserting farts into every cl- climactic scene here? Uh Let's see, other stuff we could talk about for next-gen. I think it's interesting figuring out which games are giving free upgrades for the next-gen version and which ones aren't at this point. So on the list of free upgrades to next-gen, we have Borderlands 3, Destiny 2, Avengers, Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate, which, Serial, do you have a hot take on Ultimate? Uh, I like that they... Uh, I like the characters they're adding. I'm not, like, a huge Rambo person, um, but I, I think having those two, like, really highly requested fan characters is probably the right move, even though yeah. I'm a little trepidatious about how that's going to act as feedback for people who have been harassing devs uh, about Melina specifically for the last, basically since Mortal Kombat 11 came out. Uh, 
and that seems like people have taken that as like, yeah, if we request the character enough, they'll add it. And so it validates kind of their toxicity around that character a little bit. But I, like yeah. Melina as a character is like, you know, fun Katana in a lot of ways where she's kind of, she plays a little bit more dirty, has a lot more kind of like weirder tools. Um, what uh, I, what so did you think specifically about, about like Ed Boon tweeting at some point in the past? Did he tweet something like Melina will never be in Mortal Kombat 11? Stop asking. And then he like retweeted that tweet with, and now announcing Melina in Mortal Kombat 11. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. It's so hard to know at this point whether they were like, yeah, that's Ed, you know, it's just being a troll or whatever, or them him just kind of being cheeky about the fact that at some point someone from Warner Brothers said, no, you should. You should do the thing people want you to do. Make people happy at Boone, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Rambo being in there and Robocop and Terminator, all this nonsense. Uh, Jeff Cork just called it Smash Brothers for dads, which <laughs> is a perfect way to look at Mortal Kombat at this point. Um, but anyways, other free upgrades, Elder Scrolls Online, uh, all Ubisoft stuff, which is cool. Dirt 5. Uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, but only the digital version. Uh, the EA stuff, like the sports games for a limited time. Cyberpunk eventually when that next-gen version comes out. And then, of course, all Xbox stuff. So even stuff like Gears Tactics, which will be debuting on the 10th. I think it would be cool to have on the on the Series X there. Leo, you were confused. If you get a game on disc that can be upgraded, do you just download the whole game on PS5? Or do, can, do they have a patch that would make that disc work? I don't know. I doubt they would do it the same way they did it last gen, where you'd put in like the PS3 version of Black Flag into PS4 to read it. But I bet it would just be like downloading it and then registering it to your account or something. I'm curious how they're going to handle that. That's a weird Hmm. one. Um, Other big games in the launch window that we haven't covered yet that we should? Uh, Let me look at my list. Uh, I mean, I'm probably going to spend some time with the Devil May Cry 5 special edition right uh i'm kind of hoping that you know that they do what i want them to do is just make every play uh every level playable by every character which because in the original one there were certain levels that you can only play as dante or uh nero or v um and so like part of it was like oh that's really cool that they kind of tailored the levels but when you play through them it, it feels like okay this is a thing maybe only this character can do but i those levels don't feel so intrinsic to the character that you have to do that. There's maybe like one Nero level uh, where you're skateboarding on your arm that is like maybe the one level that they couldn't do with Dante. But I would like to see kind of a lot of because that would add that would give it a lot of replay value of like going back through and you know S ranking or perfecting every level with every character. Um, but you know, like I, I'm a little bummed that it's not on PC um, and that's going to come as DLC later. So they just don't have that because I think they did that with DMC Devil May Cry where they released like the special edition like I want to say it was either the year after the consoles came out or the year during Okay, where it's like here's the 4% faster version of the game that kind of fixes a lot of the issues with the combat and stuff but that was only on PS4 and Xbox that never came to PC. Gotcha. That's a weird one. Uh, Yeah, looking at uh, November 10th, other stuff that's being released there. Uh, Fuser from Harmonix, our dear friends at Harmonix is coming out November 10th. Uh, and I believe they announced that's going to be coming to next gen as well. They'll be making a next gen version, or it'll be backwards compatible at least, and or playable. It's confusing. Um, I got uh, I got to play a bit of that game. I actually had a preview build um, that I messed around with for a while, and I love 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 Harmonix. 
I'm not I'm not too hot on Fuser. Leo, I know we're huge fans of drop mix and it feels like that drop mix tech where it's all about being a DJ, remixing songs, which in drop mix I think was awesome where you had that actual physical board and you're dropping cards and it was a really fun tactile way to just remix stuff and play around with it. And it just, it feels like a digital version of that with different songs. And then they have a whole presentation where you're going through a campaign of sorts, working with different DJs and they have different goals for you of like, okay, now do a, a lo-fi mix, that type of thing. And they give you points for that. And I think some people are really hot on it, which is great, but I just think, ah, you can buy that or you can probably get a $10 copy of Drop Mix used and it's a more physical, fun version of that. I, I just think it's a slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, I hope they work in tandem. I would certainly like to have something that's like Drop Mix, but easier for me to boot up <laughs> without having to get out that big board and plug in the speakers and boot up the yeah. app and get the cards out and everything. Side note, I just moved recently and I thought for a moment that I had accidentally thrown out my <gasps> box of hundreds of Drop Mix cards and I was just horrified. But <laughs> sound. How many of those panic moments did you have moving about just, I have no idea where something is? Many, they're still happening. I know. I, the final count isn't in yet. <laughs> <laughs> I really had a moment of like, I know I packed up my plates and I have no idea where all of my plates are. And I scoured my entire house, could not find it. Turns out it was literally in a box in the middle of the living room that I had stepped over 300 times. <laughs> Moving is dumb, everybody. Don't do it. Don't no do matter it. what. Um, let's see. Uh, Bugs. Oh, oh, on the 10th, I wanted to cover too. Uh, Tetris Effect Connected uh, is coming out on the 10th. I love that game. I will play through that campaign again happily. Um, and I believe it's launching in Game Pass as well. So this seems like it'll be a fun one just to have on deck if you're looking for stuff to play for your series x um now the champion here the one and only november 12th playstation 5 playstation 4 and pc bug snacks can you it is really the best case scenario for an indie game for a game like bug snacks to release and just hit this like sweet spot where the internet loves to play with and talk about bug snacks and the songs and bug snack bug snacks jake have you ever seen anything like it? <laughs> I mean, not really. The closest thing I can think of is Octodad, which is the same developer, right? right? So, like, I get those same vibes, which obviously makes sense, but I I still have no idea what that game is about. We actually did a video recently explaining what it is. I haven't watched it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it didn't jump out to me as much as it did to so many people. Right. Uh, but that being said, you know, like you're saying, it comes out launch day. You know, I'm sure I'll probably pick it up because I'll have a PS5 and not a lot to play on it. Yeah, so it's first-person ape escape. You're going around catching bugs that all want to turn into food. It's about just understanding the habit of these bugs, how to catch these different bugs. Uh, and so just think first-person ape escape, I guess. But it seems bizarre and charming in its weird way. Uh, let's see. Destruction All-Stars we talked about from Lucid Games, November 12th. Very curious how that thing's going to go. I want to be optimistic. We'll see how it goes. Vehicle combat game releasing for 70 bucks, which a lot of people are like, eh, 70 seems like a bit much for that. Um, we will see. All right, now let's get to the real juggernaut. Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, Jake, what has enthralled you about this game? Is it just, it's the juggernaut, so you have to produce a lot of content about it at GameSpot? Or how do you feel about this game? <laughs> A bit of both. I will okay. be. I've already produced a lot of content around Cyberpunk, and it, we're not stopping. This this train won't stop. <laughs> it is, we have we have ideas and ideas and ideas. Uh, but no, I've I've been a big fan of CD Projekt Red for a long time now. 
not as long as others. I really got into them on three. Like I dabbled with Witcher two, and I didn't get super into it. Played three, got absorbed into that. Went back, read all the books, played all the games, whatnot. Uh, so I've been waiting for this game for a long time. Um, I, I I think the biggest thing for me is I just like games like this that let you create a character and just live in this world, explore that world, talk to different characters. It, it seems like there's less of a strong focus on narrative compared to something like The Witcher, which All you right. play Geralt and you follow his path, which I love. But I really like the idea of just inhabiting this world. I'm a big fan of the Elder Scrolls games for similar reasons, despite all their jank and whatnot. Like, I just love being able to create a character and inhabit, inhabiting a weird world. It's, so it's, that, for me, is the biggest draw. I'm totally with you. It's amazing to think about how much hype there is around this game. And then even like on the Wikipedia page, it's like barely a mention of what the core story is here. It's just amazing to see people so hyped about just, I want to just live in Night City and go on these little quests in Night City. It's really refreshing and cool. I mean, there's a larger theme. I think in trailers they talked about like the Black Wall, you know, all that stuff that is going to be an element here. But uh, Leo, are you curious about that main story at all? I imagine you're the type of guy that just wants to mess around in the city too, right? Yeah, I'm interested in it because it has a character creator now and doing all that side stuff. It is interesting to see the the level of hype despite not knowing those details. It feels like just a complete trust in CD Projekt Red to be making something amazing, right? Yeah. But I'm definitely curious to more curious to check it out than I ever was The Witcher for sure. Yeah, it's the developer and just the simple idea of cyberpunk, seeing the look, seeing the aesthetic and be like, I'm sold. You know, like they've shown off the different districts, there's six different districts, all the gangs, stuff like that. Jake, you've made 14 videos on all of them, uh, I believe. Pretty much. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, what is the tiniest detail from cyberpunk that you've learned uh, throughout your experience here? As, a, as in from the game or just like cyberpunk in general? Ooh, well, hang on. Yeah, let's zoom out. How much research did you do for Cyberpunk? Did you kind of go back into the tabletop stuff? Oh, God. I've, I know, that, like I, we were saying before the show started, but I have way too much useless Cyberpunk information in my head. Uh, there is some ridiculous things. Like I, I talked about the Killer Clown Gang, uh, but there's also a gang called the Trekkies, which are just people who dress up like Star Trek characters. I imagine that won't be in the game because... <laughs> There's some mm -hmm. licensing issues there. I don't know how they got away with it in the tabletop game, but there's just some really absurd, strange details uh, that I... That it, honestly, there's like a really good dark sense of humor in the original material that I hope makes its way into 2077, which we kind of got a glimpse of in the last Night City Wired. Before, it was seemed all very serious and cussing and, and angry men with lasers in their face and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Okay, hang on. Can you give us a guide to going back to, you know, some primer stuff on Cyberpunk? How did you do it? Did you play the game? Did you just read a lot? What, what do you recommend, recommend for people that want to dive into more stuff here? Uh, honestly, I think the best thing to do is just pick up Cyberpunk Red because that has a timeline of all the events leading up to most of the events leading up to 20, 2077. There's a lot of stuff in there that I think they purposely left out to keep the surprise for the game. But Cyberpunk Red is a great place to start. What is, what is Cyberpunk Red? Cyberpunk Red, I should have said that, huh? It's, it's <laughs> the tabletop game that's a sequel to Cyberpunk 2020. Okay. Uh, so 2020 is still good, but it's pretty dated and it's very strange. In particular, the net running in that is kind of a mess. Uh, so... Red kind of makes a ton of improvements, makes it a little bit more modern. Uh, 
And like I said, it pretty much lays out the entire timeline and has a lot of different scenarios. Apart from that, though, in 2020, there are a lot of like scenarios, story scenarios for the tabletop game that tie into Cyberpunk. 2077, for example, there is a story about Johnny Silverhand that is very important to the story of the game. Like, it's funny because they haven't said a lot about the story, but what they have said, I, I think I ha- I think I've got the story figured out for better or worse. <laughs> Oh, interesting. 2077. Yeah. I, I probably know too much at this point. Do you, okay. Um, without spoiling anything, can you give a primer on Johnny Silverhand, Keanu Reeves' character in the game and what we should know about it going in? Yeah. I mean, the big thing is he is a rocker boy. He was pretty much the first rocker boy. Uh, at Hang on, the so end rocker of this boy short... is, is like an actual. Yeah. So from... rocker boy is a class in cyberpunk and basically they okay. are, they are people who make music that brings about change in the world. Similar to, I compare them a lot to Zach De La Rocha of um, Rage, Against uh, Rage Against the Machine. Oddly enough, though, when we had uh, Mike Pondsmith in the office, he compared him to Bono, and I was like, I don't quite get those, <laughs> but he wrote it, so I guess I guess Bono works too. Uh, but but yeah, so so the the story starts off with Keanu Reeves' girlfriend getting stolen, getting kidnapped. And he by uh, Arasaka, which is one of the big corporations in cyberpunk. He goes after them. He puts together a team, puts on a big show to to basically round up a bunch of people and just do an assault on Arasaka. He gets killed, supposedly, and his body disappears. No one knows exactly what happened to him. So then cut to cyberpunk 2077. Johnny Silverhand is in your head. Uh there is a program that can keep people alive after they die, which is a big point in 2020 that will probably get revisited in 2077. It's probably why uh, Johnny Silverhand is alive in some sense in 2077. I can keep going. Uh, but I, I want you to keep going. I just don't want you to spoil anything. But the idea is it's odd or is it commonplace in this world to have kind of the Cortana, Jiminy Cricket type thing going on here? I believe I think it's odd. I think it's pretty odd, especially the fact that it is uh, Johnny Silverhand, like the world famous rocker boy who is supposed to be dead. Right. So that will be interesting. Uh, and yeah, a big point of this game will probably be the Soul Killer program, which is something that his girlfriend created, which is why she got kidnapped. That basically uh, rips someone's brain out of their head and puts it in in like cold storage, essentially, like on the online cold storage where it's hidden away and they're kind of left as a husk afterward interesting and because yeah. they've talked about it in trailers can you explain what the black wall is in cyberpunk please be uh, our dictionary for all things encyclopedia so for all things cyberpunk. i actually haven't made a video on the black wall yet so i'm not entirely sure what the black wall is necessarily okay so i probably couldn't get too much in depth in that but i think it is basically like outside of the net of, of the, the the well explored net it's kind of like, like a the journey dark yeah the, the dark, dark web, web yeah. kind of like the older web that type of thing right mm-hmm. uh okay so you had mike's pondsmith in the office then mm-hmm. this was a while ago this was right after they had reannounced the game at e3 2018 so he couldn't yeah. say a lot but he basically explained cyberpunk 2020 for uh people who may be unfamiliar with it what uh what's your take on him what is his history when did he create cyberpunk what's how much is he working on the game uh so when we talk well first of all i think he created it in like 1980 or something like that a lot of people say it's based off blade runner or no no no. a lot of people think that cyberpunk is based off of uh 
Gibson's novels, but he actually hadn't read any of Gibson novels before he made Cyberpunk. Oh, interesting. Uh, which is which I, I found fascinating. But he uh, he uh, when he was in the office, he was telling us that he went to CD Projekt Red's office pretty often in order to help them with ideas like what tech might look like, how technology could advance from 2020 to 2077. It sounds like he is way more involved than uh, Andrzej Sepkowski was for The Witcher 3. I don't know if you guys right. saw that, but there was some, there was a bit of a beef going on between CD Projekt Red and Sepkowski because of money, but yeah. other other reasons as well. So is has cyberpunk ever explored this far into the future? Like, is this the equivalent of like next generation now for star Trek fans or something of just like a big leap forward. And so it's completely untested territory. Pretty much. I'd say so. The, the timeline is cyberpunk 2020 cyberpunk 2020, which is where it starts. And then it goes cyberpunk red, which takes place, I think around like 2050, maybe a little bit before that. And then there's 2077, but cyberpunk red came out last year, I think. So it's very new. It was like the first, big step forward i would say because before that they were all for, focused on 2020 the corporate war which was basically a big war between the big corporations you know exactly as it sounds so yeah there there is a big jump okay 2077 that there's a lot of stuff we don't know about but that world book they released actually filled in a lot of those gaps oh nice do you have any big questions left about the game or you've just already cracked every puzzle here and you got it uh, yeah, I mean, my big question is the relationship stuff because as someone who's a big fan of Mass Effect uh, and and those kind of games, I'm interested to see what they do with it because they said a while back that they have some big plans to make relationships seem more, maybe not realistic, but more fleshed out than they are in most video games, but we haven't really huh. heard anything about that. So, I, I, yeah, I'm curious to see how that shakes out. I almost think maybe it got cut, but... I don't know. That's just me speculating. Oh man. I knowing how much vitriol the outer worlds team got for not making romance options in their game. If they cut this from cyberpunk and imagine the fans will explode. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's still romance in some sense, but like kind of what they were talking about at the time sounded very, uh, impressive, I guess. Right. I, I, I don't know. So I'm curious to see how it shakes out. Like I said, I think it'll be there in some form. Uh, but when I, I did play it, for about four hours oh, back Jesus. in June. Yeah. Uh, and like what I, all I was able to get, it was just the very beginning, but what I got on that aspect was that you basically have email and texts and stuff that you can check a lot. And there's a lot of characters who reach out for jobs. So I imagine that will probably be related to the relationship somehow. Oh, okay. Uh, big impressions from playing it a while ago. It, it reminds me a lot of GTA. It, like in, in a very, like it's definitely leans more towards the RPG side than something like GTA. However, you know, I got out of my apartment. And first thing I did was hit a cop with a crowbar because I wanted to see what would happen. And sure enough, the the you get like a wanted level. They said they were still balancing how the wanted level is going to work. So what I experienced probably isn't what it'll be like when the game comes out. But I just got chased by police for a bit uh my like cybernetics were kind of glitching out a little bit as i was being chased uh huh. but it definitely seems the world seems more malleable than the witcher 3 which you couldn't really go on those rampages that you know people do in gta but it seems like you can definitely do that in cyberpunk oh, nice. but to be fair when i played it we had three people playing it someone focused on story someone focused on side quests 
And I just focused on like trying to break the world, which <laughs> I, that's perfect. I kind of did. There was a lot of bu- there was a lot of bugs too. I think that was the other big takeaway when I played it back in June. A lot right. of bugs, and I'm sure they've changed it. But I heard from I think Game Informer and other impressions are like, oh, the driving doesn't doesn't feel great. Don't expect it to feel like a racing game. Did you have takes on just the vehicles? Uh, I mean, I actually didn't drive much around in the vehicles because I found myself just so enthralled with exploring the world yeah. uh, by foot because it is so densely detailed and packed that there's so much going on on every street corner. Like one seat in particular, I was just walking through and I hear music and turn to the left and go down this tiny alley and it opens up into this big, huge courtyard with all these different stalls and shops and whatnot. And I was just kind of walking around, taking in the scenery uh so I, I didn't drive a lot but what i did drive it seemed it seemed pretty fine like okay. i don't think it was anything to write home about but it was seemed to work pretty well yeah oh that's nice yeah i don't envy those designers trying to figure out how to make a city that is supposed to feel like it has a history different layers building on top of each other different cultures everything like that but then not make it just a game design game layout disaster like it seems so hard and because you want it to feel a little bit messy, but you don't want it to be a mess to navigate through. So I don't know how the hell they thread that needle. Yeah. And what I saw too, there, there was a big emphasis on verticality too. Not so much like I got to giant buildings, but many of these areas I went to, I would make a left and walk up the staircase and, and I'd follow a staircase and then take an elevator and end up in this new area that is not accessible from ground level, which sounds fine you know if you're listening to this like okay that seems doable but when you've got a quest objective up there and you don't know how to get up there i feel like that could be an issue now you know when i played this a couple months ago maybe they figured out how that works better but when i was playing i definitely got lost trying to figure out how to get up when right you know the world design is so packed and dense oh that's gonna be tricky leo lock it in baby what is that metacritic on cyberpunk 2077 let's say pc version 91 why isn't it higher it's locked in uh some bugs hold back the game from reaching its true potential i think that's good i think that's really good let's see i think witcher 3 is ridiculous let's see witcher 3 metacritic uh for pc it's 93 i could i could see it i'm gonna lock in 89 where i think there's going to be a lot of tens out there and i think there's going to be a lot of people that are trying to really ding it and be like eh, it's kind of just a messy big overblown deus ex i think there's going to be that weird backlash where people are just like this isn't the next coming of christ in games like people have been screaming about for six years now i, I could see that <laughs> i don't know jake do you have a prediction yeah right in the middle i'm gonna say 90 All i was right. gonna say 89 but I think I'll do 90. So it's locked in. It's either 89, 90, or 91. We won't have any other way for Cyberpunk 2077. That's cool. Uh, any other tiny details you wanted to share, Jake? I, I had no idea you were this intelligent when it came to this game. Uh, I mean, there's more I could say, I guess, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't know where to <laughs> where to begin. Sure. You know what? That's fine. Uh, you made a video about uh, the brain dance stuff, which is mm-hmm. like their advanced vr simulation hijacking your brain type of thing is that just lore background you think it's gonna be a big part of the game is this simulation stuff i don't know if it'll be a big part of the game but it seems like they've kind of positioned brain dance to be like this sort of detective mode that you'll have in this game uh so in in i think the first night city wire or whatever they showed off 
some gameplay of that of someone like rewinding a scene like looking for audio sources and whatnot to pinpoint who yeah. killed someone so that's kind of the impression i get in in like i'm sure there'll be jokes about porn being a, a big deal in it because you know that whenever there's new tech that's always the obvious use for it uh so i i imagine there'll be like porn jokes and whatnot but i don't know how in-depth brain dance will be right i hope they do some cool stuff with it because the idea of the tech is pretty cool and there's a pretty interesting history behind it like originally it was used to reform prisoners by just having them re-experience their crime over and over and over again with increasingly worse consequences oh my god uh, and because you can essentially feel everything like they would die they would get put to death and whatnot and like rehabilitation was like much quicker, obviously incredibly unethical, but you know, it's a ridiculous science fiction universe. Uh, so I'm curious to see what they do with it. They could do a lot of really interesting and creative quests around that. And I wonder if they would ever tie into that or tie that whole brain dance thing into like the multiplayer, which they say is a separate AAA production at this point coming at 2022 at the earliest, but just something for, so they can get a little bit looser with, the rules of the world if it's all just this brain dance stuff maybe yeah maybe you can play cyberpunk in cyberpunk's oh brain dance oh my god <laughs> crazy hey. i don't know what uh quarantine has done to my brain but when you said 2022 i looked over at the date of my computer to see what year it was right now <laughs> <laughs> see how far away that would be it'll kind of feel like you know the days you've been experiencing for the last several months it'll feel like more of those oh cool yeah yeah just kind of a never-ending cycle love those god I don't want to be a real downer here, but I think it was on the Bombcast, but at some point they were talking about like E3 and then I think it was Gersman that's just like, well, of course there's not going to be an E3 next year. I was like, oh yeah. I guess like the <laughs> odds of that being good to go in June, what, 40% realistically here? Seems pretty low, yeah. Yeah. God, I wonder, this is all relating to complicated vaccines and timelines and stuff but i wonder if they'd be like eh, it's in august now just to try and do something next year because we want to make it safe enough for you to go leo yeah i yeah i don't know there'll be maybe a point where we all stop caring and just yeah, accept our fates okay well that seems fun too that seems like you can make some sort of fun video segment <laughs> quietly acquiescing to our new uh lifestyles <laughs> Uh, I also wonder how much companies are just going to be like, I don't think we need E3 actually. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that's, when, that's... you know, whenever E3 tries to do their recruitment draft, people are just like, no, uh, we're Nintendo and like us releasing a trailer and everyone talking about us for a day and a half. Uh, I think that works for us really well, yeah. even though it infuriates fans all the time constantly. We wanted to spend <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars and then we found this thing called Twitter and uh, we just tweet out, <laughs> buy a Mario game and people do it. So I think we're set here. Yeah, it's a Have weird you... world. Have you guys tested out like Parsec at all, which is that remote? Uh, I, I mean, it's usually used for gaming, but you can remote play games with this software on PC. We've been doing it a lot for demos and whatnot, and it works incredibly well. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these, you know, in-person events kind of change to that. Because, I mean, that's how I played Cyberpunk. I played it remotely. Really? So it's just like a screen sharing thing that just has really low latency? Yeah, it's like screen sharing that's designed for games interesting no i haven't checked that out yet i think a lot of a lot of fighting games have actually used it like a lot of you know uh let's say gray market solutions for putting uh online into a lot of fighting games have actually worked out and people say they prefer to like 
the there are games with actual netcode that use Parsec instead because everyone plays there and that's more popular and more efficient to play on. Huh. Interesting. Uh, Bob Buell in the Backstage Pass watching this live along with other $10 supporters. Hello, everybody in the Backstage Pass. Uh, Leo, you might be into this. They just announced releasing on October 17th Streets of Camarocho, which is a Streets of Rage Yakuza crossover that apparently is going to be free on Steam. Huh. <laughs> weird things. Thanks for That's that. That's so weird. Hot yeah. tip beat weird. down, Brian. Oh, I'm sorry. That yeah, sounds like something you would play inside of another Yakuza. Yeah. Game. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it'll be slipped into Yakuza 7 or something confusing. Um, but, Leo, you wanted to talk about VR stuff. You wanted to, to defend VR. What, what's been your <laughs> VR journey? Have you always been into it? I remember you bought one, which was surprising, and I don't know if you trailed off at a certain point. I definitely did. I was really excited about it. I got the Dev Kit 2, the Oculus Dev Kit 2. I split it with a friend and just doing roller coasters and virtual theaters and stuff, which was kind of all you had back then was yeah. still very exciting. And then when I got hired at Game Informer and had more money than I'd ever had in my life, I uh, <laughs> just bought an Oculus Rift on a whim. And it's great. I've, I've always loved VR, but I've really fallen in love with it more during this quarantine in these past few months. It's been like fully life-changing and i don't know if i'm gonna do a watch later about it at some point to really sum up my thoughts on it but it's like getting into vr chat which if i wanted to piss everyone off i would have be my game of the year at the end of the year (laughs) really it is incredible it's so such a player-driven thing right that game has so many player-created worlds and games within it like escape rooms horror journeys like roller coasters where you're shooting targets and stuff and just going into that with friends who also have vr i'm lucky enough to have a few friends who also have vr and we do like vr chat meetups and it is i describe it as emotionally indistinguishable from a day like at the amusement park with my friends what just doing all these fun experiences of like going into this city where there's this grapple gun playground and you're just swinging around hanging on to each other and just swinging in this trail of like four weird ass avatars and turning off nameplates so it's like all presence vr has that really strong sense of presence and hearing proximity chat of like i know my friend is over there it's so so immersive there's this game called murder which is like a werewolf or whatever where one is the person's the murderer everybody's trying to find clues one person's the detective they get a gun and it's just like this fun deception game that is added so much by you're all walking around this spooky mansion and trying to sneakily kill each other and hearing a scream from across the mansion and knowing where it was and trying to pinpoint who was over there just from like actually hearing it. It is truly, I fall in love with VR in a brand new way because of VR chat with friends. It's like fully not a gimmick at this point. It's fully like, I want it to be a part of my life forever, you know? And how much of that is because of just lockdown? Do you think you would have given VR chat this much of a chance? I don't know. I like to think I would, but I maybe not. It's like being starved for human interaction and figuring out how fun it is to be just, even if you're not playing something, just all hanging out in like a VR chat bar server or right. meeting random people or normally just hanging out with each other, but you can just hop into public servers together oh, and talk weird. to weirdos, fellow weirdos. Oh, great. Uh, Jake, you uh, took the plunge recently, right? Uh, I got a quest one 
couple years ago, I think. I don't know, whenever they came out. And I just got a Quest 2 in the mail last oh, night. Oh, nice. So I played a little bit, but I was curious, Leo, have you played Half-Life Alex? Did you give that a shot at all? Yes, I actually reviewed that for Game Informer before I left. I gave it a 9. But yeah, I, I adore Half-Life Alex, and that was my game of the year at the time, and will still be high up. That game is mm-hmm. great, and certainly like says a lot about where VR can go as far as cinematic, full AAA quality experiences. Yeah, totally, because I... So I, I've had a quest for a while, but I only played like super hot and whatnot. And then I, with the Oculus Link, I tried out Half-Life Alex, and I couldn't play it for long stretches of time because I just get a terrible headache. But <laughs> it was excellent. Like it was, it was probably my favorite game so far this year, and it really just sold VR to me. Like I was like, okay, yeah, like you're saying, this is where it can go, and I hope it does because it is. It it, it was an experience unlike anything else in terms of gaming. Although now that you talk about VR chat, I really do want to try VR chat. I'll probably <laughs> install that after this. It just sounds Please, like you should. It sounds like a super version of rec room, which is that free game that I really like just messing around in. Exactly. That it would made me foolish for all my times, like talking about rec room. Cause VR chat is like, Oh yeah, this is a better version. Except rec room has, you know, dailies. It's still got some unique things going for it. But VR chat is like the creation tools are much more powerful. Right. It's and it really was like my lead into Phasmophobia because those VR escape rooms, learning how much I loved doing co-op VR horror with my friends and like people getting picked off and like getting separated from your group and how isolating and scary that is. That made me so excited for Phasmophobia, which is kind of like a standalone spooky, you know, VR chat with friends. Yeah. Way. Are you still playing that game? Yeah, I was just playing it last night. I, awesome. Yeah, I've unlocked everything, so we'll see how long I stick with it after that. But there's still like a few locations I haven't been to. You unlock bigger and bigger locations that are harder and harder to figure out. These giant, sprawling, like abandoned asylums. Oh my God. That have like three floors. That's awesome. Yeah, it's That's weird really to cool. see in this year in particular, like Sony not leaning back into VR stuff. Even with the PlayStation 5, it's like, well, you can use the older one but the new playstation 5 camera won't work with the psvr headset do you think they're just waiting for a big push for vr on ps5 is that is that the strategy here yeah i don't know i it's i hope they're still planning on supporting it and just trying to figure out exactly where it's going it seems like oculus quest 2 is going to be the new the new standard set from everything i've heard about that it's been super exciting as far as the fidelity of the the display and everything yeah and i do think it is telling yeah they took off that team just to make astro's playroom instead of making the big attempt to sell you know the psvr headset for ps5 maybe they can work on that now and jump back to the world of vr but who knows yeah i I wonder how much of it was just you know the pandemic kind of telling people to kind of scale back anything you're doing that isn't super high priority especially for sony launching a new console yeah like well we uh you might be you might have been working on a vr thing but because we need everyone to work on like high priority stuff you're you guys are going to lock down and make a ps5 launch title for us and then maybe once this is all clears up and we can actually work in tandem uh, like in an office, you can go back to making VR stuff. Because I think beyond Alex, um, I think Iron Man VR was the only kind of yeah, that's hyped right. up VR release, and that didn't seem to make much of a splash. 
Yeah. Well, what an odd release. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Hoster writes in uh, for an early community question saying, glad to see you talking about VR here. One of the major talking points with VR is what must play games are there. VR sellers. One thing often overlooked is VR's involvement in the sim community. Flight, space, racing. Seems like Squadrons is one of the more mainstream games to rope people into the VR space sim experience. Have any of you had experience with any of the VR sim experiences? I use VR every time I turn on my race sim cockpit in games like... Assetto Corsa for mountain drifting, Drift Rally 2 for off-road jumps, and Project Cars 2, iRacing for circuit simulation. Thomas, you're much cooler than uh, we are. That does sound great. But has anybody done any sim stuff? I did Star Wars Squadrons last week, which, you know, isn't full sim, but right. that was pretty cool. I only did one mission, though, and it was like, okay, it was too much spinning around. I gotta I gotta go back to just a <laughs> monitor. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to do it. Like, I had such a good time with that first Project Cars for actually getting, like, a racing wheel and getting right up to the TV. So I feel like I would be gaga if I actually got the full VR setup for for playing these games. But I haven't given it its due, Thomas. I'm very sorry. Sorry to let you down, buddy. Yeah, I've been curious about Elite Dangerous. Yeah. VR. That seems like the ideal. Kind of what I was looking for in Star Wars Squadrons with VR since they don't let you use the, the touch controllers. Elite right. Dangerous seems to be much more up my alley that way of reaching around and fiddling with the controls. Right, right. Uh, and then Jeff Enright asked the classic, uh, what do you think will be necessary for VR to proliferate throughout consumer culture? Price, technological advancements, sensory technology, general acceptance. What are we missing here? Is it just at its level it's going to be at? I think it just kind of needs time. I think for for people for more devices to get released for it to I don't think it's going to be a, the thing that everyone thought it was was which was like hey as soon as the good VR device is out everyone it's just going to be the latest thing uh, because it is so kind of hard to get into monetarily yeah so I think it's just going to yeah. take time for their for people to develop more convenient solutions uh, like just the idea of being able to play Half Life Alex on a Quest without having to do some kind of like side loading hack or something which i think people have been able to figure out uh i think would would help a lot but i think people just need you know more more um like cheaper solutions and just time for people to say like oh this is this is sticking around you're you're okay to invest in it and you can kind of and, and there being enough experiences um for people to just be able to have one in their lives without feeling like is this a waste of money right right yeah i think with time it'll come I, I, most of the thing that gets people interested in it is trying someone else's you know so as the as the game of telephone continues of people trying each other's oculuses which has probably slowed down in this quarantine <laughs> I, <would imagine. laughs> I, I think i think the quest is definitely the quest 2 in particular is definitely the right move because for me you know work i've messed around with a bunch of different headsets and while i think they all look better the price and like setting up sensors and all the wires and all that kind of stuff was a huge turnoff. Like, I don't really want that in my apartment. Uh, that being said, the quest for me has been incredible because I can bring it wherever I want. I can set it up wherever I want. Sure, I'm not getting those that high fidelity that I might with the index. But that being said, like, I mean, the new quest is starts at $299 and it, it's just it's a good package, you know? Yeah. I, I, it's way more enticing. I showed my parents that and like they ended up buying one and everyone I've showed it to, they're like, Oh yeah, I got to get one of these too. And I, and I think that's really how you sell VR is like, you get it away from the PC. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Uh, more breaking news here for everybody. Uh, apparently Sega also announced, uh, something that's so cool. They're releasing a prototype of a new golden ax game. They were making and then canceled. 
and it's called Golden mm. Axed. <laughs> and they're releasing it Indeed. on Steam on October 18th. Is that also free or do you have to pay I assume it's free. Yeah, they say it's a huh. thank you for the fans. That's so <laughs> insane. So it's available... Oh, until October 19th. So they're just putting these up for these like brief little windows of just freaky thank yous for Sega's hmm. 60th anniversary. That's so strange, but I love that idea of just releasing prototypes. Why the hell not? You got nothing to lose. Yeah. Weird stuff. Uh, hey, Jake, thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Oh, good. Um, thank you for joining us, Leo's cat as well <laughs> for the video. viewers. <laughs> uh, Jake, what do you want to point people towards at GameSpot? <laughs> Uh, check out the cyberpunk lore videos. If what I talked about didn't make any sense and you need to, do you want more? We've got a bunch of videos and we have new ones every Saturday. Wow. Other than that, every Wednesday we do uh, GameSpot or every Friday we also put up GameSpot After Dark, uh, which is GameSpot's podcast with Lucy James, myself, Callie Plaguey, uh, Tamor Hussein, Jean-Luc Seipke. Be sure to check that out. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, hey, before you go, could we pick your genius mind to figure out um, the best time to release a YouTube video. What is the best sure. time of the day? I, do you, are you big into analytics? I'm supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you learned throughout your years at GameSpot about, okay, this works, this doesn't. Give us, give us the basics here. And don't oh. trick us. If you say <laughs> 30 a.m., we're going to know you don't really mean that. <laughs> yeah, what about uh, like, time I mean, to release a video? Do you have any thoughts on that? Typically, I feel like we try to put our big stuff up in the morning okay like on youtube like like we do 8 a.m pacific a lot usually when i'm working on something that uh is taking a long time and something that i want people to see usually i'm told we'll schedule it for 8 a.m pacific that being said the youtube algorithm is like i have no clue (laughs) (laughs) absolutely no idea yeah looking at analytics it looks like around like 1 p.m is our peak viewership and so i assume we should launch things then and tell me if i'm insane jake but what i like doing for launching videos on our youtube channel is i'm convinced that if you release a video at like 10 a.m 8 a.m there's a bunch of trailers from companies and gaming nonsense that's, that's released at that exact same time so i always release game informers videos at the 15 like 8 15 10 15 so that in the queue we can be a little bit higher do you think that's insane no, I think that works. Okay. Okay. Why are you still releasing Game Informer's videos? <laughs> did I say yeah. Game Informer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, I did that for nine years. You got to give me one slip up. <laughs> MinMax, everybody. YouTube.com slash MinMax show. Please don't forget. Yeah, my video that blew up the most was released on like a 3 p.m. on a Sunday and then blew up three days later. So I have no idea what to do. <gasps> it's so Like weekends. I've heard are good like morning weekends just because that gives people all day to check it out as opposed to like on a like 8 a.m on a weekday like if people miss it they may not see it during the work day until the end of the day yeah but I don't know it, it like gets to the point where it's just like I I don't know like it's just YouTube algorithm if you release a video that the YouTube algorithm seems to like then I feel like that's that's the key yeah I've been worrying a lot lately about click-through rate and how important that yeah. is and having well, such a variety of content for sure. Yeah. But like, you know, I'm a little bit jealous, Leo, even of your personal YouTube channel. Cause like that is focused as hell and it's great to have the variety at min max, but there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm not in a better quest or I'm not into this. And it's like, Oh, that, that might end up hurting us just in terms of the algorithm. And so it's frustrating, but we want to have a varied channel. We're doing this for the Patreon supporters in the end. So YouTube be damned, but it is things that I've been wrestling with lately. 
Do you know, Jake, what the number one video on GameSpot's YouTube channel is? Yeah, I believe it is. I think it's like 18 million views for like a Black Ops Nuketown live stream or something like that. I don't know why that got a bunch of views. It's either that or it could be a Witcher 3 trailer, A Night to Remember. Oh, interesting. It's one of the two. If you go to the... I'm going to... I'll look it up now. Please. (laughs) Do you guys still do that? Do you just uh, take the trailers and just re-upload them real quick? Uh, We do, but we have a separate channel for that now, so we try not to put them on our main channel anymore. Just because you don't want to spam people? Yeah. Okay, no. So it looks like 17 million views is the Heavy Rain Quantic Dream Tech demo (laughs) eight years ago. (laughs) Wow. All right, so more of that. The Witcher one in 14 million views. I I don't I don't understand where the views come from. And Dead Rising three cinematic trailers, 12 million views. I don't know. That's so. I don't know who watches this stuff. Uh, Leo, you want to write that down for a future watch later? The Heavy Rain Tech demo. Just want to <laughs> repurpose that in some ways. I think it could be huge for us. Awesome. Well, hey, Jake, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being an expert on so many games and Cyberpunk in particular, man. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And you're welcome to clap out. Oh, my God, he's going to do it. <laughs> All right. Now with Jake out of the picture, we can get down to what really matters. Our Patreon supporters, which reminds me, Serial, do you know how this whole thing operates? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm completely lost. I don't, you could have possibly hinted at that. Uh, I believe though it's Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash minmax 2 ns Thanks to everybody that listens to the show and supports us. We really appreciate it. I love, uh, talking to folks, every new supporter, I always DM back and forth with to figure out how they found us, what they want from us in the future. And it's always an insightful way to start my morning. So thanks to all new supporters at Patreon.com slash Min max 2 ns And thanks to our biggest supporters like... The Bam Box it says, hello, MinMaxers. We are so thankful for the support you've shown us so far. We're really excited about the box we've been able to get you next. Yes, the new Gamer Box has just gone on sale. It might be the best one yet. This month's franchises are Super Mario Brothers Portal 2. Sorry, Super Mario Brothers Portal 2, Simpsons Bart's Nightmare, and Dead by Daylight. Also, with Halloween coming, we decided to celebrate 30 years of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror by doing a Simpsons pin set crossover between our Gamer Box geek box and horror box it's our biggest crossover set in five years and on top of that the autograph in this box is one of the most iconic characters ever in gaming a true grail for any collector we can't wait for you to see what it is be sure to reserve your october gamer box at the and then hit us up on facebook or twitter to become a part of the bam community thank you bam box for supporting MinMax and getting a plug on the podcast. Also, thanks to our dear friends at I Am 8-Bit. They want you to know that they are selling the Ori Collector's Edition on Switch, Xbox One, and PC. It is a beautiful, transforming display case. It's got a glow-in-the-dark finish. It's got a stained glass style art piece inside of it. There's a field guide for the flora and fauna of Ori. Sketchbook zine featuring rarely seen production art, collectible art card set, hard enamel glow-in-the-dark pin, digital download cards, physical editions of Ori and the Will of the Wisp and Ori the Forest featuring exclusive reversible cover art. This thing is awesome. Thank you to I Am 8-Bit and you can support them and support us by checking out everything in their online store. Everything that's under $100, you can use a promo code to get 10% off. And this week it is all caps MINMAX GANG. So MINMAX dash GANG. And that is in honor of what they're giving away to the question of the week winner this week on MINMAX show and that is I'm saying Gang Beasts. Good call. The Gang Beasts vinyl soundtrack, which is a very sweet production. So we're going to choose our favorite question of the week, whatever makes the show better. And people submit these questions if they support us at any tier on Patreon. We're going to choose our favorite, and then uh, I'm 8-Bit. We'll ship this out. 
Thanks to everybody that submitted a question and for I am 8 bet. All right. Pseudonymous Joe writes in and says, apropos of nothing in particular, how big is too big for a video game console? Are we there? Are we at the too big stage now? Yes. I think we've I'm got sorry to, to say we're going to find out. <laughs> I'm going to Do you think there's it? anyone who who gets a PS5 and says, "No, this is too big. I'm taking it back." No, but I bet <laughs> there are going to be a lot of people that buy it and then get it home and have that moment of trying to fit it into their entertainment center and going, "Huh. This is going to be a mess." Yeah. That's it, it's so weird because I the moment I saw that console, uh, I thought like, "Oh, that's going to be that's the console that's going to get heavily redesigned by like this time let, let's say 2022 right. when they release like the the slim or the pro or whatever that that is that that console feels ripe for like here's like the actual version that you'd want in your entertainment system it's nowhere near as funky but there is a certain like original ds quality to kind of just like the clunkiness of the ps5 it's just begging for a redesign Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I can't pass too much judgment because my PC, I could put my mattress on. You know, it's there's just there's a ways to go before they catch up with the size I'm currently putting up with. Right, yeah, right. So, did you just come up with a stream idea? Is that you just spend an hour sleeping on top of your PC <laughs> mattress? We have extra life coming up. Let's get silly and sleepy. Uh, Darkfish Days says there's been suggestions lately about buying a PC. Oh, look at this. Instead of wow. a next-gen console. But in my mind, beyond graphics, modularity, and variety of games, the debate between PC and console comes down to me for desk versus couch. When someone says play on PC, I hear play at desk. Am I being too reductionist? Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> you should get out of that mindset. There's these things called HDMI cables. You could just run it very simply over to a TV, uh, and then you don't have to play PC games on your desk. I hope that's not stopping anybody, because, yeah, I've had a PC hooked up to my tv for a gazillion years leo what's your setup like uh i have a tv as my second monitor so when i want to i can throw something on it and plug in a controller and have a bit more of a console experience kick my feet up and what have you but i've been thinking about getting a stream link or a steam link sorry for my living room just because when i'm playing co-op with my girlfriend you know we like to have more of a couch experience when we're gaming so it leads to a lot of switch games lately but Mm. would really open our options up if i could cast out there but i can't run a hdmi around my whole house like that yeah i had a steam link inbox leo but believe it or not i was moving recently and i don't know where it is now i think i gave it to friend of the show dave clapp but i'm not entirely sure but if he doesn't want it i'm sure we could just give it to you because it was on sale a while For ago a yeah yeah it was this is like a joke. something people should have i think i ordered a steam link at one point when they were like five dollars and they were having those big blowout sales and it just never appeared. I think in their move, uh, they they just don't know where it is. Maybe they also gave it to friend of the show, Dave Clapp. I think, yeah. yeah. He's been collecting a lot of junk recently, yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? Class action lawsuit us about it? $5? <laughs> Come at us, we dare you. Uh, I am debating when to upgrade my setup. Like, I have a cute little cozy setup here in the MinMax studio slash my new living room slash gaming room. But I still have, like, a 1080 TV at some point i'm probably gonna have to upgrade all this stuff i'm gonna feel like a fool playing all these next-gen games on 1080 aren't i maybe do you guys have 4k tvs i think that's what the series s would be for right if you have if you just want to run those games at the highest possible frame rate on a 1080 i think s seems totally capable of that um but i guess if you don't have a tv you know like this is deal season right i'm sure there will be a lot of sales on like a bunch of stores for 
fairly cheap uh 4k tvs yeah yeah i should probably yeah. upgrade that stuff and then at what point do i have to get a new hdmi cable and stuff that 2.1 thing 2.1 yeah I mean, you just you can just buy it with your tv i don't think they're that expensive but i might be wrong about that okay um brendan brett writes in and says i've decided to wait a year before upgrading my console to next gen so all the bugs can get worked out and i have more games to choose from but now i have this next gen money burning a hole in my pocket what's a fun way to spend that money upgrade my pc somehow being convinced to jump into vr hoping for some fun and irresponsible suggestions that quest 2 is looking very reasonable quest 2 would be fun maybe you could like split it i think is there something about with the quest 2 you know if they're inside your bubble or however you're you're managing this this uh lockdown i think getting a quest 2 and like splitting it with a couple of friends wouldn't that be the way to go leo everybody chips in 100 bucks 70 bucks and you can just pass it around because it's great but it's not exactly everyday gaming right yeah i mean again in non-covid times maybe roommates or something but right yeah i I think that's totally like a great first step into vr like splitting that up is nothing when me and my friend split it it was like 400 dollars a piece oh my god crazy uh but if you're looking for something irresponsible uh friend of the show producer amy surreal knows her well producer of min snacks Mm -hmm. uh she bought a scooter which is shockingly fun and it was 300 bucks and so if you're not living in a place where the winter is really going to crush you, just getting a fast, cute little scooter, probably the most fun you can have with 300 bucks, right? You so mean like the ones they rent out with yeah. the app or ones you sit on? Uh, yeah. I guess the ones, that they, the ones that they rent out. Actually just having one of those ready to go. Those are super fun. People, a lot of people are too good for them. And maybe they have fair reasons about, you know, when they clog up the sidewalk or whatever, but those are a blast. Yeah. I, I love understand. Those. Why are people anti-fun? Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan Fenn but please leave a comment uh, below everybody watching on YouTube let uh, Brendan know what to spend his money on for $300 please uh, Jonathan Fenn writes in and says hey CLCs I just finished listening to the deepest dive for Super Mario 64 thank you for listening to that uh, it was a fun time and it got oh by the way um, we did something diabolical mm-hmm. where I had you know the community likes ranking things they're obsessed with it uh, <laughs> when they have these big in the discord a uh, different formats different ways to rank different things sometimes we read it on the show we ranked the deepest dives recently like of all the deepest dives that we've released what do you think is your favorite um and it's very interesting to go through the results final fantasy 7 remake was number one by a mile uh and then it was chrono trigger and then i think super mario 64 was the third down that list so please check it out it's a very fun time i think i'd put super mario 64 above chrono trigger but that's just me anyways um this got me thinking watching the Super Mario 64 Deepest Dive. People often say that when you stop and think about Mario, it's a very surreal concept. Talking mushrooms, giant evil turtles, magic penguin suits, etc. And I think the same could be said of a lot of retro games, like Sonic, for instance. My question is, do you think this is purely a result of hardware limitations as abstract shapes are more easily readable in pixel form? And has the age of completely surreal game concepts ended as graphics become more realistic? Yeah, we're not going to see anything like bug snacks anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sick of all these games being the same. That's a great example, Leo. Yeah, there's still plenty of trippy, weird stuff out there. But I think he's right. There's something about that idea of, you know, looking back on those older games, just being like, what were these designers on? It's like, well, (laughs) were were they really all just high or was it just they were trying to make the best square they could? Right. I think you need a lot of bright colors to make stuff at that resolution stand out. So obviously like making yeah. things more fantastical and simple, like this is a cloud that you don't need to understand anything else about like 
uh, about this world other than like, you know, here are very simple shapes and how do we contextualize very simple shapes? It's just like, okay, these are just blocks. These are like, here's a very rudimentary castle. I also think though that I they just happen to have uh, good timing in that around the time that, you know, some things like the NES were coming out, there were a ton of like children's cartoons that had proliferated uh, by television of just like people were just obsessed with these like Saturday morning cartoons. And so making games, um, I think was still seen as something that you were for, that were for kids, right? We didn't have a lot of like mature games yet. So I think yeah. people were like, Oh yeah, just tie it into this like cartoonish kind of thing. And then make, you know, there were a lot of licensed games based on Ninja Turtles and, and like, you know, home alone or whatever, whatever kids thing was, was popular at that time. So I think it was really easy to just, combine those kind of very simple abstract ideas with children's cartoons yeah and it was funny there's an article i think we talked about on the podcast where is a the nes i think like tech lead something like that i forget his exact title lead programmer um but he was just a very frank guy and he's like yeah uh basically with a lot of those old games we just kind of like took a lot of stuff from anime and then everybody in the West thought we were geniuses, but we just totally ripped off a bunch of animes that we've been consuming our entire lives or just weird ideas from manga and stuff. So everybody just sees those early games as wildly creative when it, they are, there's no doubt about it, but a lot of those ideas they were saying, were like, ah, eh, we just pulled it from anime, everybody. Yeah, I was trying to find a quote I had written down from a couple of years ago from a Ubisoft level designer that I thought was really accurate about how... Uh, you need limitations for creativity. Mm -hmm. Like you need boundaries to work within to truly like form something meaningful. And I think that's probably like, it is a mix of the limitations and that breeding creativity. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of my favorite games are like uh, games that make a lot of interesting choices. And so you, you're more pushed to make like the right choice. If you have more constrictions around what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Uh, versus like something like, an, like if you have the ability to render the entire world. Right. And then like make it super verm- like vermicile and make it look exactly like the real world. Then, like you are making the choice to do that, but there's also like, well, we're doing this because this is how it looks in the world. world. We're making this because like, this is a logical train of thought versus like, well, we have to choose between like a jump animation and a slide or something. And so we've decided to make it like, imagine something like a uh, bionic commando, right? Which had the choice of like, there is no jumping in this game. Instead, you have to use this claw to move. And that's like a, that's something that makes that game stand out versus if they would m- making that game now. Yeah, of course you can jump because that's, that's something that's easily doable. Right. Yeah. God, I'm trying to think about recent-ish games that fit that bill as just being a surreal concept. Like, most surreal recent games. I think of, like, everything, the game that Double Fine published, where you just listen to amazing Alan Watts philosophical quotes as you control a tree and a deer and all this different stuff. That's pretty surreal. Virginia. Virginia, interesting yeah. little story experience. Yeah, jump cuts. Fantasia a couple years ago, but that game is pretty weird yeah i think apat is pretty surrealist and you know it's art style soundtrack and stuff it makes some really interesting choices around like what it chooses to not make look realistic and and go for that art style for sure yeah yeah Um, yeah even hotline miami being like something mm -hmm. that was made within the limitations of the game maker engine like yeah as much as i could with that i guess in a way too minecraft is a pretty surreal nightmare isn't it like that's a trippy weird thing <laughs> yeah i don't know about nightmare <laughs> sometimes more like a dream come true <laughs> uh have any of you ever beat minecraft no 
I haven't either. I feel like I should do that at some point for a game that I love that much. I, I need to go back to it. And also, I played a majority of Minecraft by far on my PS4, and now it just seems insane. Like, I should get back into the PC version of Minecraft at some point in Max's future. I think it would be really fun. Um, Noel. I think he's the first Noel to ever write in. Up top. <laughs> we broke the cameras. Um, Noel writes in and says, Hey, Min Max, my son got me... <laughs> My son got me help. Um, my son got me and his mom playing Fortnite with him pretty much daily. That's so sweet. We do duos or squads, uh, sometimes or sometimes creative. It's fun to play as a family, and we get a couple wins here and there. I could do a lot better, I'm sure, but I don't really want to put any time into getting better. I have no interest in getting good at it because I'm a filthy casual and I'm good with it. So, what games are you fine just being okay at? Something you like but don't want to take time to get to the next skill level. Hmm. Hmm. I think I kind of think to some degree that's where I'm at with Destiny, where I, oh, like there there is sort of like it's not like a huge esports thing, but there are things in the in in Destiny called sweaties where people will just go into private lobbies and try to play really intense games. Like I I don't even do a lot of the Trials of Osiris stuff, which is like their most competitive mode where you kind of have to win uh like games in a row in order to progress. And so like I just don't really care about being good in the crucible and they make uh, like they don't make you care about that stuff they just want you to play more games but i i think there is a, a part of me that does sometimes want to sit down and say like okay i want to get really good at like destiny multiplayer or get really good at raid stuff but i think i want that game to be um i don't want that game to be intense uh outside of like okay we're, we're trying to coordinate this thing and we, you know we got this raid done and that was really cool but i don't want to like you know top the leaderboards or like like actively think about my performance in destiny a lot of the time um yeah you start so to be the chill I, yeah yeah i want to be a fake casual gamer when it comes to destiny <laughs> stuff <laughs> yeah it'd be nice for me it's hearthstone it's Ooh, like yeah that's ccg and a lot of others like it it becomes so much about everybody has the same pre-made decks they find online and you're just fighting the same oppressive decks the whole time and it's like the joy of Hearthstone when I was finding a lot of joy in it was like building my own deck from scratch and finding what I thought was a good balance and then winning one, losing a few, getting a sense of what cards I wasn't using or getting use out of and like swapping them out and trying to build the best deck that way. But it's like you can't be competitive unless you use the exact one right. you should be using yeah, and even and, even then like when i was playing gwent like after i reviewed it uh, there was definitely this push to like oh you should like find out what the best decks are and even when i put one together that was like oh here's like a recommended uh like build that was played at this major tournament there's always this push of like well you have like what is the best deck right like why aren't you winning like you know yeah. so there's always this push to be like um to be competitive in a lot of games that i think ends up pushing me away sort of because I'm not living up to the expectations that everyone that I feel like I should be at immediately. Right. Even though yeah. that's not how it works. Yeah. Like one V wanting friends in Hearthstone is how it will always be the best yeah. to me yeah. for that reason. MacDak writes in and says, Hey all world of Warcraft is on the cusp of a new expansion, but between wow and 14, there don't seem to be a ton of new MMOs. Why do you think the MMO genre has declined? What could be done to revitalize it? Perhaps Dreamhaven can create the WoW killer we didn't know we wanted. Uh, Dreamhaven, by the way, um, like Morheim from Blizzard, split off and created a new group of studios uh, with a crazy amount of Blizzard leads. We didn't talk about it too much on the show, but it's a very cool project and we wish them well. Um, 
But also, God, what was the studio that a couple years ago, Rob Pardo from Blizzard, uh, he also created, yeah, Bonfire Studios. They're also working on stuff with a lot of former Blizzard talent that they haven't revealed yet. But anyways, why do you think the MMO genre has declined? Does anybody have thoughts? Uh, we should say, obviously, there are exceptions that people will want to point out. Like Final Fantasy fourteen is like new content is doing well yeah for sure and i mean there's still a community that loves elder scrolls online which is amazing to see that game was a little bit rocky out of the gate but you know the companies that stick with it you know it's paid off a couple times so far yeah i think there's like a a level of uh people have their mmos they like if they play mmos they're in one for their entire life having a bunch of friends who are into wow and into you know, Final Fantasy fourteen. it's, you know, a disease that they have and is incurable. <laughs> not not going to be cured by another MMO coming along, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to new ones, though, I, I also think it's a money thing, right? Because I think the, uh, the appeal that brought so many people to MMOs is, oh, you can, you can get them to pay you $15 a month or whatever. That's like, that's infinite money, right? And so, I, but I think people ended up finding more lucrative ways, uh, you know, like loot boxes and stuff and free-to-play um that ended up being better for revenue in the long run like you know i'm i'm just not i'm not saying like like that's objectively true but i'm guessing like something like a gotcha game something like genshin impact or like you know loot boxes ended up making more money for people uh and so people have shifted to games that work with that you know versus oh yeah why limit it to 15 dollars a month when we can make you give us a hundred dollars a day you know make you <laughs> yeah. give us yeah it's true there's something to mmos having a like impression of being hard to get into for people like they seem like the highest level of complexity of game genres sometimes certainly when you're talking about like the things you have to know to get into an end game raid and any of them yeah mark ramirez writes in he says hey been in the clc's based on the previous discussion of what's left to wish for i have one more thing yes please uh by the way i was thinking of one more thing as well after that episode, I was like, you know, it's it's so nitpicky, but I still want two, well, three ports on Switch. Did we talk about Chrono Trigger on Switch? I forget if we brought it up on that list, but that's, that's up there. Also, I want Plants vs. Zombies 1 on Switch. EA, you know, they're releasing Need for Speed, Hot Pursuit, that remaster. That's coming out on Switch. That's great. I'm glad they're getting into the remaster game, but do you know anybody that owns a Switch that wouldn't buy Plants vs. Zombies 1? It just seems like a 100% retention rate, right? Yeah. If they ever and did. in that arena, a new Peggle. Yeah. Or a Peggle for mobile that isn't Peggle Blast, one of the worst games of all time. <laughs> Peggle Putnyon Blast, buddy. Um, but then the other one is I really still want XCOM Enemy Unknown on Switch. I know XCOM 2 is on there, but I like Enemy Unknown more, and I feel like it would run a little bit better. I'd be more into that. Anyways, Mark Ramirez says, I have one more thing that I want. Ken Levine's next game. It's been seven plus years since Bioshock Infinite. He skipped the entire generation. That is crazy to think about. Uh, so time to pick some dates. What year does he announce something? What year does it come out? So, okay. After Bioshock Infinite released, uh, they took the Irrational Studio and compacted it down. And Ken Levine basically said, uh, I want some of my leads to stay, but these hundreds of other developers, I can't maintain that. And so this compressed version of Irrational became Ghost Story Games. And Ken Levine, back in 2014, was talking about, we are working on a game about narrative Legos, a systemic approach to game design. And then since then, he's just brought it up a couple times here and there 
we talked to him on the Game Informer show, and it, he actually said a lot. Um, and he talked about how it's a sci-fi game, I believe first person, he said. Uh, and then he said that it deals a lot with just the nature of humanity and AI, so getting back to some of the themes from System Shock 2. So, I mean, we know a lot of those beats, but what year does he announce what this game is? Does anybody have a guess? Next year. I think we see some info about it. I think you're right. I'm trying to yeah. think about like 2K's lineup. Ooh. Would they, I know they're still building up, was it Cloud Spire Games? I forget the Bioshock studio. But would that be confusing to be pushing the new Bioshock and Ken Levine's game at the next at the same time? I wonder if they'd want to stagger it. Maybe do Ken Levine's game first if Bioshock's going to take yeah. this long. If it's also a smaller project, I could see Ken going first. I could I may I could even maybe see an announcement at like the Game Awards. Aren't it, aren't they kind of tight a little bit? Him and Keeley, don't they have some relationship? Um Keeley is tight with everybody. I don't know why you'd hmm. insinuate that he's not surreal. That's well, he's not damning. tight with me <laughs> yet. Oh, okay. Well, He'll call you up. After I'm waiting show. for my email. Why doesn't Jeff Keeley ever call us? Yeah, we we could make some sort of announcement at the Game Awards. We could if come he up wanted with us some. To. We could announce a deepest dive. We're doing. Yeah, the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have an Oregon Trail documentary, Mr. Keeley. <laughs> uh, I I oof, I could see next year too. I could see that coming around. Um, and then what year does it come out? 2024. Wow. Okay, let's split the difference. It's coming and it will change gaming forever. Okay, great. Leo, you seem, to be, you seem to be into this idea of a more systemic approach to narrative, stuff like that. Are you interested in this project? Yeah, I haven't heard that much about it, to be honest. But yeah, that kind of stuff, it definitely intrigues me. Like really trying to see what we can do with this damn old medium we get, we're reporting on. <laughs> you know <laughs> hey i hear you there matt robinson writes in says hey gang hello hi, hello leo say hi to matt i don't know matt just <laughs> hi to him you don't need to know somebody to say hi to them just shake his hand you don't have to hug him just shake his hand yeah hey matt just, nice to meet you i'm leo from the min max show leo just kiss matt you don't need to know him just kiss him <laughs> come here matt <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he says, I'm currently on my second playthrough of Ghost of Tsushima, which got me wondering, what is your favorite example of petting an animal in a game? Heavy petting in a game. Nintendo dogs. <laughs> oh, good, yeah. Correct. Moving on. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's got to be number one pet. I mean, that is the you train pet a game. Dog, yeah. I want them to put that system in other games, that robust of a petting system where you're scratching behind the ears and rubbing the tummies and whatnot. You know, every other game is tied for a second. You want to just press triangle and you pet them. Yeah. You know what? You know what's pretty dumb, Leo, hmm. is that entire robust petting system in Nintendo. It's just a bunch of numbers that they put into a computer. And what? Then, isn't that what? weird to think about? I never had that dog. No, Leo. That it was, was those were numbers. Man. That wasn't a puppy. my Nintendo dog doesn't love me. Is that what you're saying? If numbers can love you, then he do. Um, yeah, I was gonna say Last Guardian. It seems cliche, but Pet and Trico in that game is great. And I went and looked at gameplay footage for that game again, and it was just like this. I it, I got strangely nostalgic over a game that I just played four years ago, you know. But it just feels like it was this surreal experience that I don't reflect on enough. But God, that game has a lot of aspects that are so so cool about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Surreal. Have you ever pet an animal? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's cool do you guys have like a go-to response to animals when you walk by them on the sidewalk or something 
Keep okay. on keeping on. <laughs> I, <say that. laughs> I always, I always just, whenever I see a dog on the sidewalk or like I did a lot of hiking this last weekend in Duluth and uh, every dog on the trail, I'll always just go, hey pup, and then put my hand down. Like, oh, if it wants to lick me or sniff or whatever, that's fine. But I realize that's probably confusing because maybe they think that I'm giving it a treat every time. Maybe that's why all these dogs keep following me on those trails. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stop that. Ryan writes in and says, hello. Hello. We have a hello. we have game remasters that provide the same game with updated character models, a la Final Fantasy VIII, for example. Do you think we'll ever see this in CG animated movies? Could we get a Toy Story remastered with character models from 4? I think Disney would love to do a quote-unquote live-action remake of Toy Story 1 and would eventually do that, but it would be more about like to- uh, Lego movie style, making it look yeah. like the toys are really hopping around. Right. More than just a remaster. Until probably five years from now, they'll realize, oh, we could just remaster our movies and it'd be even less work. But I don't know if that's true. So video games... You have the models there. You can upgrade that tech. You go back to the tech for Toy Story 1, that's literally typing in ones and zeros. Like, it's not just like, you know, I know no remaster is easy, but I think video games, it is a little bit easier when you have that skeleton. But I don't even know if you could get a computer to read those animations. To be honest, I could do it, Hanson. It's called motion tracking and after effects. You put the new model over the point on Buzz Lightyear and you just have it follow. And of depots across the whole thing. I Put smell. I smell a watch later. Leo Vader's Toy Story remastered. <laughs> 4K. Yeah. Um. I. So I would like to see it. I would imagine that they will do it within six years. Yes. But I think that's a tough trailer for Disney to make. Don't you think? How do you mean? Just to like, hey, watch Toy Story. And then they have a little transition to be like, doesn't it look better? No. Or is that an easy trailer to make? That's, they'll, they'll fart that out but, in five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like a Valhalla NPC. Um, they, just, they have that video. They're just waiting for it to export, actually. But so they just announced like, hey, we're prioritizing streaming now. Uh, that's our first priority. And so I wonder if the Toy Story Remastered would be great for getting folks to a theater. I think I don't know what does it have the same impact of on your small screen streaming you can watch a new version of Toy Story would that really make people subscribe to Disney Plus I don't know I don't know I think they you're right that it would be enough of a thing for them that they'd want to make it a big theater experience you know after the success of Lion King the number one animated movie of all time (laughs) box office wise (laughs) I I feel bad. I haven't seen that new movie. Lion King's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's like I, sh- I just, I don't, I, I don't think anyone's been like super crazy about that remake, though, right? I no, don't think nobody people... has. I, yeah. James Earl Jones, I think, uh, said yippee once about it. And that was the most. <laughs> and how did that sound like? <laughs> I think it went a little something like this. Yippee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan writes in. Oh, sorry, Nick L writes in. And says, there's just not enough Monster Hunter talk on this podcast. We just got a full trailer for Monster Hunter the film. And it continues to look not great. That said, I really want to see it. He's wondering if there's ever been something that you know is not going to be great, but you want to see. I think Monster Hunter fits that bill. Did anybody else watch that trailer? I I watched the international trailer. I didn't watch the... Oh, la-di-da. I don't know know if those are different. But mine had Spanish subtitles. Oh, uh, but English dialogue. That seems that seems like it'll be fine. Yeah, I it, don't know. It looks like 
you know, Stargate meets Godzilla, where they're like, oh, we're transported to another world. It's a sand world, and now there's crazy monsters here. I think that seems fun. I am on board for that. I it's not going to be a good movie, just to be very yeah. clear. I mean, the the monsters look good. I think. I don't think they look like total garbage, which is sort of what I, I was expecting, I guess. But I hadn't watched a lot of the resident, the recent Resident Evils. Yeah. So I was kind of going in with very low expectations of what those monsters would actually look like. And I feel like they pulled them off okay. Yeah. The premise is kind of weird because it like it doesn't have a lot of like the kind of fantastical flair of Monster Hunter. It just looks like military dudes are transported to a realm that looks almost exactly the same as earth except there's monsters there uh and like there's a guy dressed as a monster hunter for some reason even though it doesn't feel like it fits in that world but i don't know it'll probably be dumb fun right yeah i think Uh, me and my dad independently saw now you see me that magician movie and we're both (laughs) it came up in conversation we're both talking about how obscenely dumb it is <laughs> and we ended up seeing now you see me too in theater oh my god <laughs> and it was fun having that shared experience oh that's sweet and now you can see you think it's other. better do you think it's better mm-hmm. it was more entertaining the second one yeah oh good uh adam moran writes in and says not a question but as a fellow former animal animorphs obsessive there is no former there's only current and lifelong animorphs <laughs> obsession we're um, always anamorphing in our hearts <laughs> i thought ben might want to know that a graphic novel adaptation of the first animorphs book was just released and it's actually pretty damn good not sure how often they plan to release but right now the plan is one-to-one adaptations of each book so they aren't cutting much out that does sound cool i think i'd like to read that um thank you for your animorphs report at MRN. we welcome an animorphs report every week on the Mac show um, Raymond Gutierrez says with Animal Crossing's fall update last week and Destiny 2's Festival of the Lost starting today, what are some of your favorite holiday events in video games? Uh, Dota 2 a long, long time ago had an event called the the Grieveling, which is which was this really weird, dumb thing where you just played as whatever Dota hero and Oh, like the the river, which is what bisects the map basically between you know one faction and the other, had frozen over, and so when you went on the river, you'd start sliding around in this really weird way that wasn't in the game at all before then. Oh, fun! Uh, and all you did was like go around and fight these little grieveling guys and get gifts and stuff, and so it that, that you had access to all these like wacky items that did very different things, um, and it was this really weird mode that I I played a a lot of uh, the first year it was out, and uh, I think that's actually. Because up until then, I, I played very few heroes because I was kind of like, oh, I want to do well. I want to make sure that I master this this one hero before I, I re- branch out to other ones. But because this was like low stakes, like who cares? That that was the mode that made me try a bunch of different heroes and, and kind of get accustomed to them. And so I actually, after that mode, started playing more heroes on the regular uh, than I had before. Which So it made it like a pretty good, pretty good time. There was also a Christmas theme mode, by the way. Ooh. In case you, in case that wasn't clear by the the river freezing, <laughs> I get picked that. up on that. Yeah, that's that's when it happens. Yeah, I think uh, I really liked um, the first Overwatch holiday, like the Christmas Overwatch event, where it's like the snowball fight. Because I'm mm. a May main. That's the first thing you got to know about me. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, and so I was like, oh, having like this very May focused event was very fun. And then like her Santa skin 
I want it so bad. <laughs> I've never wanted a skin so much in my life and I still do not have that Santa skin. And I haven't touched Overwatch in years. I don't even know. They probably gave that skin to everybody who's played it <laughs> at any point in the last two years and I've just missed it. Don't tell Hanson event was what they called it <laughs> when they gave it to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, GTA Online, at least a few years ago, I haven't played it lately, but I always appreciated their winter season, which is just the last couple weeks of the year. It would be snowy everywhere in los santos and mm. it was cool how it would actually make the driving like much more slippery oh you're sliding fun. around on the ice oh, that's but it's hard to top the hitman one where it's the home alone guys stealing from the paris oh. level and santa is teleporting around and you can listen that's for him right. and find him and kill him and take his clothes damn it that's fun damn it fun was had <laughs> zion gonzalez writes in on patreon and says would you consider a segment that is the opposite of the goatee hunt where you play oddball slash weird games on Steam. Even if it's just 30 minutes, I feel like it'd be funny to watch you guys play weird, broken games. You should hunt. Go, back, yeah, hunt. Uh, go back in time to, I think, the first Goaty Hunt of the year. We did exactly that, where it was just the great Goaty Hunt, and it was every game that's released on Steam so far. So it was just a bunch of <laughs> random games. Were you on that one, Serial? Was that the one where we played the game uh, where you play as the bird? Oh, no, that was a different one with the bird game. This was the one where we played, like, God of Jim, and there's a game mm, called, like, right. Defender of, of the Chronicles or something. Like, it was a very fun uh, look at just a bunch of random I games. have been meaning to go back to God of Jim for goatee consideration stuff. Yeah, I got it in my calendar <laughs> for sure. Um, but, yeah, it would be fun to do uh, something like that. Um, goatee of Jim. There we go. Grizzled Gaming writes in and says, Hey, gang. Oh, another gang thing. I hope you all are doing fabulous today. Thank you. At this point in Max's history, do you consider yourselves to be more games journalists or content creator creators, uh, or <laughs> or poor readers or content creators? I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Thank you. I think this is a very astute, interesting question that really made me pause. So, at this point, are we more game journalists or content creators? Uh, I feel like yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in this weird position where I'm in different pools because I, I did technically do game journalism earlier this year. I wrote like a, a profile and I also am like a, a sensibly a professional critic, right? So yeah. I have kind of, I, I wouldn't say I'm so much of a journalist as I am a critic, but I think in the context of Max stuff, I think it is like content creator stuff, right? Even though like, I think the closest analog we have here is like pundits. I think we're like in this show, we are video game pundits. Don't use that dirty word. It's pretty bad. Uh, pundit, an Indian word. Did you know that? I forget no, the I exact etymology and history of it, but I looked it up and I was like, oh, of course, it does sound like an Indian word, of course. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think a probably content creator, from being honest, but I was never really at any point comfortable calling myself a journalist. Like, an, I don't know. I like enthusiast it seems so much better it's like i'm an enthusiast who sometimes really like likes video game history and likes doing journalistic things but i don't know leo are we in the same camp here yeah it's it's something i hadn't thought about but you know interrogating myself there's no question that i'm fully on the content creator side yeah you know making essays and doing gameplay streams very early on with a game before there's anything close to like an evaluation of it like I'm st- I'm straight up a content creator. Straight up. And I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> I did have this weird panic where I saw Game Informer release that Miles Morales cover story and it's great. I'm glad it's doing really well for him. It's, it's a huge get. Um, and I was just like reliving all of these old anxieties about 
worrying about exclusivity, worrying about, oh, the screenshots are online. Oh my God, what are we going to do? How do we market this? Okay, got to make the playlist ready. And just like feeling that panic rising again of just like worrying about embargoes and competing and working with big publishers. It's like, oh, that's nice. It's all, <laughs> can let it all go. We don't have to worry about working for anybody and with anybody except for the Patreon community. And it's just such a relief. Yeah, I mean, fully candid. Loved working at Game Informer, and yeah. I learned a lot about what I liked about being in this business, you know. And that kind of stuff definitely was not fulfilling me in any kind of career or creative way. Even so if it's, it's like fascinating to be that close to you know a big company rolling out a huge game like Miles Morales. Yeah, and very valuable to, like as a learning experience. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's and like, also yeah, the, that's a different different part from where I want to be. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think the trips were always the most interesting part of those because that those that's when you loaded up on info and we're like, oh, I'm just kind of you know in a new city, like talking to devs and kind of seeing the studio, and then you have to work out kind of this this content schedule and and like the rollout of like the cover story. Those were always really like stress inducing in a lot of cases. Yeah. And that was just my life for nine years. I was just doing that on a regular rotation. Yeah, it was you a did lot. that, huh? I did that a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's fun. I, I miss a lot of it, um, but the stress, I'm very happy to have gone. Now I'm just stressing out about every time surreal you touch your table or something, it makes weird mic sounds. So you want to oh, be mindful okay. of that. Um, hmm. Let's see. Interrata has an interesting question. Do you have a preferable time of day to finish a game you've been playing for a long time? For instance, I just finished Ghost of Tsushima and I waited until the afternoon to finish the main story. It just felt right that I spent so much time in that world that I finished it later in the day versus... Excuse me, I'm not crying. um, Versus the morning. I did the same thing with Breath of the Wild in 2017. Do you have a preference for when you finish a game? I feel like I never know when I'm about to finish a game. Yeah. It could be one or nine hours at any time. Right, but... But certainly the morning is the worst. I like. I would like to do it if I could pick. I would pick to always do it last thing before bed, so I can lay there and soak it in. Yeah, but not like the way I beat Red Dead 2's entire campaign, which you know was I think like you know three in the morning or something when I finally wrapped it up. Then I had to go to game for the next day. But I like I like finishing a game just a little bit past your bedtime, so you're being a little bit naughty. We're talking like <laughs> 34 minutes past your bedtime, seeing the credits roll. That's peak game finishing <laughs> 34 after and not a moment after not a moment after and then you're through the last cutscene to finish at the right time <laughs> and then you're stuck in that situation of like god do i hit the button to try and skip the credits i want to see if there's anything after the credits so i'll just i'll let it ride and check my phone for 17 minutes while these credits roll by can't risk it can't risk it joshua lehman says 2020 is a great year for video games but a horrible year otherwise is there any other year you can think of that has the same situation great years for gaming that come to mind for me are 1998 2008 2011 2017 hang on are good gaming years the cause of everything wrong in the world is this a direct (laughs) correlation it's tough to think about because 2020 sure has recontextualized my idea of a bad year any other year that's close no i was really thinking about how funny it is because i was reflecting on the deepest dives recently and i remember in january when we launched the chrono trigger deepest dive like the entire framing for that one and like the pitch video say get ready for the deepest dive and chrono trigger was like hey it's we're in a dark place we got to pull the ripcord pull the parachute and go for the happiest place on earth the world of chrono trigger and now it's like Oh boy, we're pulling the ripcord in January, you fools. I, I feel like that happened a lot with 2019 as well. Just yeah. like, oh man, this trash fire every year. It's uh 
I, I think to me, the last year I remember like pretty fondly, even outside of like game stuff was maybe 2015. Uh, cause I think on the game front, like there was just for me, a lot of like personal highs of like Metal Gear Solid five, which are three undertale. Bloodborne, um, right? Is that 2015? Yeah. Bloodborne as well. And then just like, it, it didn't feel like anything terrible was happening at the time, but maybe like besides like the regular amount of terrible stuff that happens in the world on a regular basis, but it definitely did not feel like, uh, are we like kind of sort of in the end times? Is this what's are we about? Is this is something real bad is about to happen? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have that kind of anxiety. Uh, that probably wasn't until late the next year that I think that kind of started creeping in. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, 2015, I'm looking up the biggest news stories, and I think we all recall this blast from the past. Racial unrest over police killings royals U.S. cities. So that was 2015, yeah, I, everybody. I, yeah, that's fair. But, like, also, I, man, I guess I don't want to necessarily compare tragedies, but it just feels like that was maybe even more, even that was, like, more prominent this year. Yeah, but, I, was, I was going for the idea that it has never stopped. Um, yeah, that, that <laughs> things have always been bad. In, a lo- in the long view, things have been bad for a long time. Yeah, uh, but yeah. It, <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> it does. It I I do have to pause because yeah, I think 2020 has been so great for gaming. But you just you feel like a jerk saying that, or even like 2020 personally has been really good for me. You know, like moved into this house with my girlfriend and things are going well. You know, and like Min Max is the best thing, uh, and so it's really tough to talk about that without sounding like a giant a-hole in every way so i probably yeah. shouldn't have just mentioned that on a podcast and i apologize <laughs> well um, as someone who thinks that games as a whole on average have just gotten better and better for my time gaming it kind of does track with as they get better you know the other things kind of race towards not better there we go mick manga writes in sorry to bring up an old question but removing any historical significance I think Chrono Trigger might still make the top 100 games. We talked about this on podcast a couple weeks ago. It's still a blast to play, can easily evoke, and can easily invoke a sense of wonder even for those who've never played it before. What do you guys think? Removing nostalgia, would Chrono Trigger still make the top 100 games of all time list? A blast to play? It's a... I mean, blast might be... It's fun. And it's it's engaging. And it's It's charming. I think if we're removing all historical significance, I think Chrono Trigger's close on that list. I don't know. I I, I do I do like that game quite a bit, but I I think I'd have to think about it outside of that context, right? Because so much of my appreciation of it is like, oh man, look at what they were able to pull off back then. This felt like such a weird coming together of like you know the Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest teams, but. I think about like even st- like re- stuff that I've played recently, and I feel like I think I mean it may not be a sign- historically significant, but I think I enjoy this more. But. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. That's a real tough one. Henrik Mortensen writes in, "Hello, what do you think the gaming world would look like today if the PlayStation and the Super Nintendo actually merged in the '90s? Do you think Nintendo would just swallow them whole, or do you think games like Ratchet and Clank and God of War would ever be released? Answer me." P.S. Banjo-Kazooie is better than the masterpiece that is Super Mario 64. Okay, if you insist. Um, yeah, nice. if it was the PlayStation and Super Nintendo merger back in the 90s, what would have happened? I don't think Nintendo would have eaten Sony because I think Sony's too large to have let that happen even then. Yeah. 
I'm but sure. I would, yeah. I think I think we still end up with a separate thing. I think at some point they have a falling out. I think you maybe yeah. get one or two consoles where that's the case. And I think Sony eventually decides they don't they don't want to work with Nintendo or vice versa, and they just end up releasing their own thing. I, I'm with you. I think it would have been one generation, yeah, and then Sony's like, wait a minute, we want money. And I'm sure Nintendo's like, wait a minute, we don't want to give this cut of all of our profits, profits to Sony every time or however they were going right. to figure out that deal to have the disk drive. Yeah, that does make me think about where does Sega stand in that as like the only competitor at that point. And where does, like, does Microsoft enter way later in the console race do they enter earlier because they see an opening mm. um i think the stuff around them as a as a like a, a pair i think is maybe more interesting to think about than like yeah they probably would have released one or two playstations under the nintendo name um but you know what like what does the rest of the gaming landscape look like yeah yeah great question henrik what a thinker yeah vincent baker leo could you have sounded nicer when you said yeah yeah. Great. <laughs> Vincent Baker says, Hey, cohorts, I'm curious, what was PE like for you in high school or gym? Did you enjoy it? Were you bullied? Any fun stories? Boy, that was a nightmare. Literally two days ago, I was talking to my girlfriend about gym, and it is the only class where I consistently got D minuses. Like, I hated gym, and it was... Uh, Leo knows this. I'm a bit of a goody two shoes. And like, I did pretty well in school outside of this, but Jim was just like, that was my punk rock zone. That's where I would just, the teacher would tell me to do something. And I'd be like, not going to do that. I just hated it. I had no problem being nice to the teacher, but just being like, I'm not going to participate in this nonsense. Cause I was so physically uncomfortable, realistically in a lot of these situations and just terrible. So I would just goof around and be silly with my friends. Like, you know, I remember this is a weird, specific, incredibly boring story. But, like, I remember I was like, okay, everybody play basketball for 30 minutes, whatever the hell gym is. Um, and I was like, okay, well, my friends and I, I think best friend Ronnie is probably one of them here. Um, we just, like, got basketballs, and we just bounced the basketballs in complete unison. And then just, like, walked around the gym and went, play with us, Jinxie. And it was just, like... We just role-played weirdos that were bouncing basketballs in unison and slowly parading around the basketball court. That's how we got D-minuses. But that was my gym <laughs> experience. I don't know. That's got so jacked. That's right. One arm is huge. Uh, did you enjoy gym? What was your gym life? I avoided it completely. I uh, did online gym. <laughs> in- Shut up. <laughs> in the summer after junior year i voted it completely partially because i was involved in band so i could always be like well that's my gonna be my elective period every year and then yeah i graduated uh and they only let me walk because i promised i was gonna finish my gym credit that summer and then i barely did on the last day by filling in my schedule of workouts with uh, completely lies really online gym they just say online gym never touched the gym floor at that high school that's insane. I'm also confused about having gym being elective. In my mind, that seemed like it was a well, lock. Yeah, I mean, it was required for sure. <laughs> I don't really know how I got away with that. But, no, I think my school was also like, a, you can either do band or gym was, I think, really? the, the choice that you had to make. And I didn't want to do band, so I ended up doing gym. But yeah, you know, I was I was a much bigger kid in high school. So I think I think the teachers just said as long as he's putting in any kind of effort, I think we're okay with him. And so what what, what we ended up doing was like whenever I had a class with friends, we would just be like, 
um, it was weird because we had like the the gym was all had rafters in it, and there was like this kind of like um, whenever you played basketball, you had to pull the rafters out, and when you pulled them in, it was like the it, I think that was for like other sports like volleyball and stuff. And so there were like these this there was this hidden rafter area on the higher floors and whatever. And so we would just tell the teacher, yeah, we're gonna go play soccer uh, up there on the like in the area behind the rafters. And so we would just go up there and just like shoot the crap for whatever how however long gym was and every time we hear the teacher come in we'd be like hey okay everybody start pretending you're playing soccer or whatever and then we would <laughs> immediately go back to sitting on tables and just talking about whatever was going on um but then we'd have to run the mile and that was like the big Oof. day because we would, would go outside of the track field area and that was like the one day that you had to actually put in some effort and as well as like the pacer test i don't know if you guys ever did that no it was basically you just had it was like they, they would play this song with like this really convoluted intro of like uh, the, uh, the test will begin. it was like this tape where they would tell you oh, the test will begin in 30 seconds. And so they would play this thing where they would play this song and every few seconds you'd hear a beep and uh, you'd have to run across the entire length of the gym basically in that time. And if you didn't, you were eliminated and you got like a D for the class or whatever. What? So. Uh, and so, like the high, the the higher number of uh, of laps effectively that you were able to do, the higher the grade. And so, everybody, I think there was like a certain number of of laps that you had to do in order to pass. And so, everyone was kind of stressed out. But then there would always be like people who just wanted to keep going or whatever. And so, uh, the songs would get faster and faster, and the beats would come like sooner and sooner. So you'd see like everyone would just end up watching the three kids left. And I would always get like I would always do well enough to pass, but yeah there were that was also another time where it's like okay everyone else is doing the pacer test it's like two rounds of this so we can just screw up for the next hour or so or whatever jesus that sounds like a nightmare yeah oh just thinking about how much of my life was framed around when is that mile coming up in gym Mm -hmm. it was just the (laughs) biggest nightmare because you're right it was just the immovable object of you have to do this and i have to be embarrassed and i have to make it half a lap and then walk the rest i think i told the story before but one time i passed out or tripped or fell while running the mile and snapped my pinky uh it was brutal so never a fan of gym uh but you know what maybe i was too much of a little stinker maybe i should have just ran around in a circle for a while and blended in and upped my gpa in a huge way (laughs) um matthew weatherly writes in and says i recently listened to what some might say is the deepest most thorough discussion about mario 64 on the internet i'm sorry no matthew listened to the best most thorough discussion about super mario 64 on the internet uh i love the talk you had about the ending credits music for super mario 64 and how it brought back brought back memories that same day i watched a speed run of mario land and could not believe how good the credits music is in that game as well it really took me back to being a kid and finally finishing a game putting the game boy down and taking in those sweet tunes what is your favorite or most memorable ending credit music track in a game but i think matthew might be right i think number one end credits theme might be super mario land let's let's take a listen here because i forgot how good this was not this part but Sets the tone.
Uh, Super Mario Land. Dare I say, still underrated soundtrack? It's so good throughout that entire thing. <laughs> it's a catchy little ditty. Yeah. Uh, Backstage Pass, lighten up. People love it. Um, uh, I really like the ending credits song from Rogue Legacy. That one I've gone back to and listened to over the years. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I People think say it kind of sounds like that Suff Jan Stevens song from Little Miss Sunshine. And it kind of does. Is it sound a little something like this? Is it sound a little something like this, Leo? Hang on, this is the ending. Hang on. <laughs> oh, this is way too quiet. Well, Leo, <laughs> does it sound a little something like that? If you can't hear. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. It probably it does. called the fish and the whale is this it i don't think so i think it's called whale shark parentheses ending credits oh here it is okay yeah oh this is end sequence sad music sad version Mm. it says (laughs) great i do love a melancholic ending credit track reflecting on the game's events It takes a bit to get going. That is nice. It's so tough to divorce yourself from the music versus like what's happening in the game or even I thought of like Final Fantasy VIII, but it's like, well, that's just the great version of the Final Fantasy theme, but with the great cutscene to it. But hang on. Ending credits at this time, you're also seeing like all the the amounts of each enemy you've killed and stats like oh, that fun. and I thought it was really interesting like wrap up of like yeah here's everything I've accomplished that is good that's excellent uh, of course does people... anyone oh. remember the the ending theme of Yoshi's story I don't think that's a necessarily a good one but that's one that I that I have stuck in my head more than I probably would like uh, that's the one where the, like the Yoshis all sing like they all just say the word Nintendo over and over. What? <laughs> then you want to cut to like the middle. Cut to like two minutes. Oh. Have you not heard this before? I don't think I I've think ever Smash heard that. Brothers, is That's it? so... I don't, I don't think so. I just like and the to idea. think if Nintendo and PlayStation had merged, they'd be saying Nintendo and PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like, you know, they hired Koji Kondo to make a track and then he fell asleep and so the assistant had to come up with something. He's like, what's some Koji Kondo crap? I don't know. It's the word Nintendo over and over again. People like Alvin and the Chipmunks, right? <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. But uh, yeah, people in the deepest dive chat, uh, they bring up, of course, Portal 1. I mean, that's probably the correct answer here, but uh, let us know in the comments what you like for greatest end credit music. Mm, yeah, a lot of good contenders out there. Uh, okay, question of the week. What do y'all like? Uh, I kind of like that gym one. 
Um, the God of Jim. Um, I like the old games being more surreal question. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Sure. I like that one too. I like what games are you fine just being okay at? Mm. It does have a cute story associated. I'm leaning old games being surreal. Surreal. Do you want to? Sure. That's fine. All right. Let's do it. Congratulations, Jonathan Finn. You win a great album from I Am 8-Bit, the Gang Beast vinyl soundtrack. Thanks so much for your support. And now it's time for... Oh! If the prize was ever, uh, like, you know, Gang Beast, and somebody wrote in and was like, yeah, all my family died playing Gang Beast, so I love it for some reason, (laughs) would we all be like... We should probably give them question of the week, right? You know. Well, we wouldn't because they're a maniac. I love it because my family was tortured and killed while playing Gang Beats. Well, yeah, that was I. We kind of failed to think of an example quickly, <laughs> but you understand my point. Those are like, yeah, my grandma just passed, and we played Gang Beats together every day since she was four. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should skew it that way. I'm, I'm pretty strict with this crap, Leo. Okay, because I we've been doing this for a long time, and I feel like there's a tendency, you know, because people write in with sad, real stuff, and I, not that I don't want to encourage that. You can write in with whatever you want, but if we're constantly giving it to the, the sympathy case, you know, I think it, right. it it generates that, and you know, we don't want to bum people out every episode of the podcast, just like every other, like a good podcast. Anyways, now it's time for something we call "Get a Load of This." Leo, wow me. Uh, I don't know if you want to pause here, but I completely forgot about this segment. Leo, we don't pause on this show. Uh, I have something for you. snacks. What's up? Oh, here. I'll send it to you real quick. And, and you got to act excited about it. You yeah. got to be like, hey, guys, check this out. Right, right. Get a load of this, if you will. Okay, so open it up and then. Uh-huh. Leo, what do you got, man? Get a load of this. (laughs) (laughs) This is incredible. A snowball fight filmed by cinema pioneers, the Lumiere Bros in France, 1896. It's been colorized and had the speed adjusted. So you you guys, are you visualizing it? It looks cool. No, yeah, I saw this. There's a Uh, link. There's a link below if you want to check this out. It's awesome to see basically what they did with what they will never grow old is that what the um peter jackson world war one documentary is which is just incredible for modernizing old footage and seeing the snowball fight from 1896 and it just looks like somebody filming a snowball fight now now it just it's beautiful it's poetic it makes you realize like oh people is people i understand <laughs> but like here's what a nerd i am for a long time i was thinking about like man if i had a time machine you know what would be fun is to go back and set a modern video camera in the exact spot where they filmed old movies, and then you could have like a beautiful-looking version of all those old movies if you cut it the exact same way. And I realize I don't need no stinking time machine. Like technology is that time machine. Like we are going to be able to with this crazy computerized, let's just say, algorithm, just take all of that old stuff. The computer can fill in the holes with frog DNA or whatever the hell it does and make it look like this amazing HD version. Like forget toy story. We're going to have 
modern, amazing versions of all those original films that everybody loves. Serial are always raving about Birth of a Nation. You'll finally <laughs> have your HD version of that. Wouldn't it be crazy? Yeah. Take the words right out of my mouth. I mean, that's why I thought it was so, so worth talking about today. That's great. All right. Uh, yeah, we make we make jokes, but I would like to not endorse uh, Birth of a Nation. Let's <laughs> strict that from the record. Noted. Let's be real for a moment. No, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are actually talking about how the the guy on the bike in that video just gets completely pelted. <laughs> Just by everybody, as soon as he passes by, he would dare to pass by that snowball fight. Yeah. And then someone yells World Star, which I don't think had been invented yet. Yeah, that's really hard. Dear friend to say. Anyway, Cyril, do you have one? Uh, yeah, uh, this will be a quick one. Uh, get a load of this. Uh, this is a tweet that blew up. Uh, though I'm not entirely sure this is real, so take it with a grain of salt. But uh, uh, PJ Evans, uh, who's verified, so I have to imagine this is true, uh, posted that. <laughs> Uh, two images uh, with the caption, the Amityville Horror House, where six people were murdered, feels the need to decorate for Halloween. <laughs> and so they have two photos of what I, what looks to me like the Amityville Horror House uh, with like just kind of like spider webs on the bushes <laughs> and these like little kind of like black and, and, and white ghosts where it's like this, um, they just have like a cloak around them, but the, the skull is white. And so... <laughs> And that looks to be what their decorations are so far. Someone else posted another photo of like, I guess they added more decor uh, decorations later on. But uh, it is very weird to see something from um, that was recreated in a movie and people have been talking about as a real place where something real bad happens. And they have like a like a beware sign in the yard, which is this which is such a weird thing to That's see. That's so funny. I love the idea of no, actually, yet yeah, people were murdered here. People lost their lives, but. Look at those spooky fake combats on yeah, the porch. Like, that's such a flimsy, funny idea. Beware of dog. Beware. Imagine if there were goblins here, too. <laughs> Ooh, look out. There might be behind you. Uh, hey, get a load of this, everybody. Uh, I've been continuing to listen to this history podcast that I like a lot called The Constant, which is a history of getting things wrong. It's just bite-sized little stories from history, usually framed around people getting stuff wrong. They had this huge miniseries called The Fool Killer, which is about a mysterious submarine that people found in Chicago in 1915, and they don't know where it came from, which is insane. But that story started with this story that I had never heard before. Maybe I haven't spent enough time in Chicago. But have you guys ever heard of the boat called the Eastland? Eastland? No. Uh, this boat was in the Chicago River, and it was uh, one year... So 1915, so it was one year after the Titanic sank. And after the Titanic sunk, obviously everybody's like, well, put lifeboats on your boat, everybody. What are you doing? So it was mandated every boat needed a certain number of lifeboats. So the Eastland was this boat, and they put a bunch of lifeboats up on the top, but it made it too top-heavy. <laughs> so this boat tipped over in the Chicago River. It killed 844 people. Like, that's... Oh, more than half that died in the Titanic. It's just an insane disaster that I didn't know about. And like in the podcast, they talked about, oh, you know, the Chicago fire, this horrific disaster in Chicago, it killed 300 people. Meanwhile, this freaking boat killed 844. So, you know, I hope that improves your day, listeners. A lot of people yeah. died a long time ago. It was terrible. 
Um, hey, oh. the community get a load of this. Um, Chris Fader posted in the Discord uh, this tweet. There's a Reddit post, actually, which is something that we should have thought of a long time ago. But somebody made a Final Fantasy clock on Reddit where they have a hand on their wall and then they have the Final Fantasy logos for 1 through 12. Isn't mm. that a good idea? How has Square not actually released this? It's right there. Well, I think Square Enix would want to add, you know, more hours to the uh, <laughs> to the day, basically. They do the military So they could add the rest of them. Or they're just waiting until they can do the 24-hour version. Right. It starts at, they're going to make a Final Fantasy zero, so that so it starts at zero, they and then it goes zero. all the way to... There you go. So you start with type zero, and then once they get to Final Fantasy 24, or 23, because it, it never goes to 24. They'd right. have to get to Final Fantasy 23, so yeah, look so, for that whenever that comes out. And well, it, they can do it whenever. Like They don't have to actually do the numbered version. They can have it go to 10 and then to 10-2 before it goes to 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Leo, I think we have a Zoom meeting at Dissidia, uh, so you don't want to be... <laughs> Dissidia Central. Oh no! See, I I have I have to run out at lightning returns, so I don't think I'll be able to make that. that <laughs> uh, thanks to everybody that supports us on MinMax. We're coming up on a year anniversary. It is October twenty fourth, so next week we're going to be uh, celebrating our anniversary uh, in a funky way. Where if you're at the backstage pass at ten dollar tier, we are going to be releasing our two first meetings about MinMax that we recorded. These are early early meetings it's so funny it's like bringing jeff on board for the first time and it seemed like at first he wasn't going to be at that cohort level he was going to be down a tier and then he was like no of course i want to be up that so like he didn't know that i was quitting my job he didn't know that we were launching a patreon like these are very very raw discussions and they're fun to listen to so if you're at that ten dollar backstage pass we'll be releasing those two discussions surreal what do you remember about those early early meetings yeah, it was it was interesting having those conversations. Obviously, uh, having a lot of that dealt with, you know, the fallout of of layoffs and stuff. But yeah, uh, it was weird just building something from the ground up that way. Uh, it was also very weird that like back then, Jeffum didn't even know he was going to have a kid by now, you know, <laughs> and that you surprised him with that info. That was surprising. Yeah, um, yeah. a lot of people have been asking, "Where's Jeffum?" Uh, I wanted to leave it to him. Uh, he tweeted it out, but yes, Jeffum uh, has not been on the podcast for a while because he had a little baby. He became a little Jeff Markia father, as the Discord calls <laughs> him, which is just fantastic. Uh, so, congratulations to Jeffum and his wife uh, for beautiful baby Kai. So he'll talk about it at some point in the future, whenever he stops wiping a butt or whatever he's doing now um you know shepherding a new life i don't exactly know how it works <laughs> yeah um, it's really easy to just call it yeah he's like wiping a butt i don't know <laughs> what, do you, anyways, what, what else do you do with kids yeah, i don't know yeah, that whole thing but anyways yeah if you've enjoyed our content in the last year we'd appreciate some support on patreon i think it's a good time to jump up and say thanks and you can hear those early discussions and they're very very surreal um leo anything you'd like to plug sir uh, new watch later will be up now for patrons and later for everyone else. Yeah. On, uh, a weird topic, maybe the return of the King game that I was obsessed with as a kid. I think there's and a lot I, of fans of that. Like those license games that everybody bought and no one talks about critically. There's a lot of wiggle room there. This isn't why I did it, but literally while I was putting this together, I got recommended a video on YouTube that was a return of the King game review from a year ago that had like 1.5 million views. Oh my God. So maybe there are people out there just like me who know about what Lord of the Rings is. <laughs> and I also want to consistently plug the backstage pass streams for people mm. at the $10 tier, which are always a blast. And that's a lot of 
hours or a week you're getting. Yeah. And so you can watch Leo edit all of Watch Later, which is a cool experience. And also, like, they shape the jokes and stuff. Like, it's, it's a cool A idea. lot. They have a, a consistent through line of input. That's, that's very awesome. fun. That's great. Cyril, anything you want to plug, man? Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I didn't No, I, I guess just listen to the... Um, to the deepest dive on Mario, which I really enjoyed. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. And yeah. then also the, the refresh that uh, uh, Anna and Sarah did on, on VTubers, which I really enjoyed as well. Yeah, about the rise of VTubers. So that podcast uh, is in the uh, Patreon exclusive podcast feed, but then also on YouTube, you can watch uh, Refreshed for free. And yeah, it's a good chance. I saw a lot of comments last week about like, more Sarah Pazorski on the podcast, which we'd love to have. Um, and you can have another Sarah Pazorski podcast with Ana Diaz uh, talking about the rise of virtual YouTubers. So it's a good time over there. And get ready for the deepest dive on the thing it's going to be launching next week we look forward to reading your comments let us know if you have any questions about how that all works and thank you to minmax's 50 dollars supporters the bam box i'm 8-bit Mirko, rico torreno zachary pliggy rebecca lang beaten on brian brian with a y leo you know who comes up next don't you oh yeah baby let's say it together Cat- Mark Seliga, Joar Hello, Ludwig Roque, Andrew Valla, Jesse Vitelli, Sam Miami 83, Thomas Hoster, Snake 24, Yaro, Willem Garcia, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smut, Spider Dan, Alex Payne, Preeton. Oh, thank you for this one. Preetham, Yarlagata, JT Fell, Steve Bamdad, and Chris. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.